everybody, and welcome to an episode of This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. I'm your moderator, Crisis with a K, and I'm joined here by three of my favorite fans, friends, and mutant lovers from around the world, Freeha, Tyler, and Harry. And we are here to talk about the new X-Men comics out on the 3rd of February, 2021. That's three comics. It is Hellions number nine, King and Black Marauders one-shot, and X-Factor number seven. Plus, the X-Men have made some appearances in some other places in the Marvel Universe this uh, week, and we may talk about that at the very end of our conversation today. Of course, this always comes with a spoiler warning. We're here to spoil you, and not just to treat you greatly, but to also tell you everything that happened in these comic books and in the history of X-Men, so you've been warned and you know that if you do not like spoilers, we are unfortunately not the program for you. Without any more said there, I want to get into talking to my friends, starting with Tyler. Tyler, uh, let me ask you, have you ever had to send a message in like a, a secret code or in a language that other people wouldn't understand? You are one of our multilingual members of the panel here. <laughs> well, um, with some of my military background, you would have thought that I, I would know things like Morse code or, or things like that. But actually, I do not. But what I, but who what I do know is that I know the descendant of the person who created the Morse code. Really, you she, know, like yeah. grand grandbaby Morse. Great grand great grand <laughs> uh, baby. Yeah. So she she happens baby to be Morse? she happens to be um my grad school classmate. Huh. And when she told us that oh yeah my great granddad is the one is the Morse the Morse and we are like the Morse. No, we don't believe <laughs> no, you. <you're> and she's <laughs> like. No, it is. And I was like, no, you're lying. And she called her dad on the phone to prove to us that <laughs> she is the she is that moss. <laughs> That is none of us are gonna top that. That's the best story I've ever that's, heard. That's like you know how uh, Kit Harrington's uh, great great this is like an ancestor was the guy who created flushing. Like he invented <laughs> flushing. So it's like that. Also, I love how Tyler, like, will drop a big bombshell and then pivot. He's like, due to my military experience, actually not due to that, I also happen to know the, the disability of the Morse code. Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> Harry, hello. Hello. Let me ask you, what is the farthest you've gone, and this could be in physical distance or perhaps measured in ethics, for a friend? So there was a time back in high school where me and my uh, one of my best friends were um, terrified of girls and talking to people and what have you. But uh, he had actually managed to ask girl uh, ask a girl out on a date, and he was very excited about it. He talked about it for days, as excited as you can be. He dresses up nice. He gets to the restaurants, and she stood stands him uh, stood him up. Oh. She didn't show up. So it's like. Ten o'clock at night. I'm watching television. I'm like sixteen or seventeen. I'm getting the saddest texts I've ever gotten from my friend that all this enthusiasm is for nothing. Aww. So I look out the window. I take my parents' car and I drive. I think like an hour or a little bit more to the restaurant. And I hung out with my friend and we ate food and it, it was nice. That's I hope so it salvaged sweet. that deeply sad experience. Mm. I think we've all had a moment like that in our lives. And hopefully you can have people with you uh, to get through it. That is like the sweetest thing, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, just, just earnest. Yeah, man. <laughs> that, was very, that is very sweet. 
That's a really good one. <laughs> so Freya, the, the question I have for you is a question close to my heart personally as a, as a sometimes rebel, which is, do you have a story about one of the first or early ways that you rebelled against your parents or your family? So I'm Southeast Asian, which means like if I rebelled properly, I am not alive to tell the tale. So the fact that I'm alive, it just says that, you know, it was a mini rebel. So, yeah, small, you know, small and I was, yeah, I was like, I was always like very like, you know, going to listen to my parents and I don't want to have any trouble kind of person. So after I graduated or like right before I was graduating, I got a job in Salt Lake City and I didn't tell them that I'm interviewing for it or anything. So I'm like, I'm getting, I got the job in Salt Lake City and I'm going to Salt Lake City. And that's what I like, you know, I called and I was telling my dad about it. And my dad was like, well, that's great. Good luck. <laughs> I was like, ah. So <laughs> that didn't they work. Didn't, they were, no, it didn't work at all. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> so yeah, that was further. my story. That was yeah, that was my story. You know, and they, 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 they we lived in Canada at that time, so yeah. you know, Montreal to Salt Lake City, and yeah. then my, my my dad was like, all right, well, good luck. Yeah. You should have gone, <laughs> like, go, go somewhere far. Uh. <laughs> I know, but now that right. I think about yeah. it, they would be the, he would still be he would be equally be like, yeah, good luck. So, <laughs> anyway, well, I guess like moving far away story. from home doesn't have the same hit when your parents have already moved your family around the world. Like, <laughs> I moved really far, but that's from somebody who's lived you know in the same place their whole life. But then if my kid was like moved somewhere really far, I think I'd be like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that's yeah. that's what kind of happened. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a lot of comic to get through this week, so let's prepare to dig into some X. Now, as we do, we're going to do our lightning round from the gut reaction to Hellions before we start digging into the details of the plot, starting with Tyler. Um, well, Wells continues to delight with snappy dialogue and um, balancing humor with action and um, pretty on point on the usage of like uh, the mutant powers. Mm. Um, um, Segovia's art looks somewhat different in a good way, this issue, to me. Um, but the female characters still have really big bust, which kind of annoys me a little bit. Um, all in all, I give it four cups of tea out of five. <laughs> oh, we're still going. <laughs> <laughs> Harry. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was just like a rock solid issue of Hellions. You know, it really just, it just, it's exciting. It's funny. I think this is a funnier issue than other, mm -hmm. some in the past. Um, just a good setup. You know, I, I, I just, this is a book that's kind of gotten far enough that we just have these small beats where you're just hanging out with the characters in the gym and you're just like as engaged just seeing their little advancements and developments. And it's just like a great time. And uh, I really like the cliffhanger. I think it's the perfect kind of energy for what this book is. And uh, yeah, I'm just still like so happy with this. Awesome. Freya. So I really enjoy Hellions. Like, you know, all this time has been enjoying it. This one did feel a little bit like a setup issue. And then, you know, it was, there was still the funny things and all of that. There were some moments that we're going to talk about later was really good. I feel like this would read much better if I was reading it in a trade paperback. Mm. But with just this issue being, I'm like, oh, okay, it's fine. You know, I mean, I it didn't leave any special memory other than like, you know, that one page 
we're gonna talk about later. Uh, but I will say this was like a 3.5 LOLs after out of five. <laughs> I should say, all right, I'm gonna give it a, a four ratings out of five. We're gonna go deeper into this. <laughs> ratings, okay. Uh, so look, I, I actually feel really similarly to the whole gang here. I think it was a really great issue. I really enjoyed it. Um, I do start to fear when X-Books just do comedy and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of plot development that it's kind of turns into some of how I feel about a book like Marauders where you look back and it starts to feel like empty calories. So I really love that we start out with a really meaty scene between Mastermind and Sinister, but I think there's only so many times this book can get away with just making us laugh and not really like having plot, even though there was a lot of character development here. So I did love it, but it just makes me a little bit nervous because I feel like we've had a few issues like this from Hellions and I'm, I'm yeah. looking for density. Uh, is generally the thing that I am seeking. That said, who is a bigger dirtbag than Mastermind to pair with this <laughs> team of dirtbags as a villain dirtbag? I, I don't know. If, I don't know. There, there's few X-Men villains as dirty and as baggy together as Mastermind, which brings us to our first point of discussion here, which I love the way they titled it in the book, The Benign Betrayal of Nathaniel Essex, as we have the meeting of the dirtbags over some tea and a reckoning between Sinister and Mastermind that actually reveals a lot about how some characters and some readers might be feeling about this utopic experience that Krakoa is professing to be giving everybody. Tyler, what did you think about this meeting of the dirtbags? Well, first off, I think most of money is lying. I mean, the Da Hong Pao cannot be that rare if I can find it on Amazon. So, <laughs> so I think, I mean, I was like, oh, Wait, what is that? And I googled it. I was like, oh, oh, it's not that rare. <laughs> you can't find it. <laughs> and and then we started off with the with the joke about the cape and the smell. Um, but I think one thing I kind of um sort of like um jumps out at me is that um Sinister is attempting to rope mastermind into a particular plot. Hmm. Like, what kind of plot is he trying to get him into? I mean, it's definitely, he's kind of revolting with from within a little bit on yeah. the Quiet Council. It's like we're starting to now see how people are pulling in different directions mm -hmm. a little bit. I, I thought that was a really intriguing part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Harry, what did you think about this meeting of <laughs> the masterminds? I just thought it was delightful. I don't have a lot of experience with this mas with mastermind as a character, but um, I do like that you are seeing, you know, these... I mean, dirtbag's the word. I can't think of a better one. But how they're chafing up against the uh, the idyllic kind of settings around them. And, um, you know, as, if Wells just wants to keep writing just uh, kind of scuzzy characters just complaining about their their scuzzy lives, I'm, I'm locked in. But, um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed Mastermind, though, in this book. I kind of, I, I not to cut ahead, but I did figure out his whole power and kind of, like, approach right before the book kind of reveals everything, which I was happy about. Um I just, yeah, I think like every new character introduced to this book has been pretty great. Friha? So, I mean, obviously that first, I was just mostly worried about the fact, like not worried, but the thing is that the, the plumage <clears throat> was not stored properly and now it smells. And then anytime well, there's a smell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, you know, that anytime there's like a smell that bro it's brought in, I'm, I'm almost, all, like, so I was mostly thinking about what kind of smell it must have been. So I was really focusing on that the whole conversation. But like Tyler, I was also thinking that 
Sinister is plotting something. So I didn't think Mastermind is doing anything or he's just a pawn in this. I don't know this character. I don't know what he's he's doing. But the thing is, like, I feel like it's it would be very disappointing to see if he's coming and then taking doing one-upping Sinister, at least, you know. But then also at the same time, it also brings up, like, someone with that kind of power, Krakoa has no handle on this character like he there they, like x-force has no handle on it heli like you know x-factor has no handle on it like that also something that you know we talked about before is like okay now that we have the nation now what and it kind of brought back to that is like okay there's all these really sinister mutant and they're just running free and then they're coming in and out of krakoa at their will and no one does anything so you know it just like i think i was mostly disturbed and upset by that oh okay i have several small things to get through to maybe spur us on we're here i'll try to get to them mm -hmm. quickly so first of all the thing the whole <clears throat> the cape smells gag and of course we're cape, <laughs> cape stands here on this program yeah because we, we love, love all the cape gags <laughs> it made me regrettably have a serious moment of contemplation about what jamie braddock must smell like since he was the last person with the cape. Yes. I think. Which is And I, he was wearing it shirtless. Yeah, and in that yes. moment I'm like sweaty. Damn it, Wells, I literally am here sitting on my couch thinking about the scent of Jamie Braddock. What have you done? <laughs> what have you wrong? And that's and that's exactly what I was thinking because he's insane. So obviously he doesn't bath or he probably changed the reality around him to say that he smells good and he doesn't. But the oh. cloak, you can't convince a cloak lie. that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's like I got, we got a couch that was stuffed with a certain kind of feather. I don't know these things. And I was like, does it smell like poultry in here? And my partner's like, well, the couch is stuffed with bird feathers, Peter. And I'm like, I didn't want a poultry flavored couch. You just, anyway, that just made me think now of that. Now I'm thinking of about much. it, what he smells like. And I can't get out of my head now. <laughs> okay. But 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 a couple other things. So it's interesting because Tyler and I have more mastermind context than the two of you. He is a huge part in the original Dark Phoenix saga. And he's definitely one of these very sexual assaulty kind of characters. But it brings up a theme that I've been talking about in New Mutants, which is like, it's fine if you don't kill humans, but if you go around like mind assaulting a bunch of mutants, then you're cool. And I think that I've, yeah. I've really been mm. waiting for like somebody to truly deal with the ramifications of that and I'm like well Matt couldn't get more perfect than Mastermind yeah. to deal with the ramifications of how we're going to assess these kinds of characters living on Krakoa. Uh, so now I have two kind of Oh, one more thing. Anytime there's a whole who's drinking the poison, which one, I always think of the Princess Bride. Um, it's just my number one people <laughs> trying to poison one another bit, you know, well, like with the switching of the cups. Anyway, so I thought of the Princess Bride. But here's the question I want to kind of send back around to everybody else. At the end of the sequence, it's titled The Benign Betrayal of Nathaniel Essex. Benign meaning sort of like not really meant in a negative way, right? It's just mm -hmm. small, minor. Do you think that's Mastermind's betrayal of Sinister or is Sinister actually putting one over on Mastermind? Mastermind seems to think he's going to have to go through the protocols if they ever even find a dead body, but we know that Sinister does not have to use the protocols if he doesn't want to. So who betrayed who here? Tyler? I mean, that's a good question, but and I mean, we are being led to believe that um, Mastermind has the upper hand here. Um, but you know, I mean, Sinister has clones too, so who knows if this is the, you know, Sinister Prime in the in the sense, right? So yeah, um, I mean, 
I, I don't know, but I am um, looking forward to find out because, you know, I do enjoy the writing and um, and we are going to get another crazy character right at the end. <laughs> so, Freya, any thoughts on that? Who betrayed whom here? Um, I would say that Sinister was up to no good. I don't know. Because I feel like maybe Mastermind is up to something and Sinister got in before that and then now he's trying to one-up. But the thing is, he also, Mastermind is also operating under bad information that you know yeah. that he has to the body has to be found and everything so which kind of makes me think my sinister is more in control i'm team sinister you guys so i <laughs> to be sinister <laughs> so that's where i'm going with this harry who's I mean, got again, the upper hand here i didn't know this i didn't know mastermind that much as a character i didn't know his rapey tendencies which is awful but like reading it, I didn't get the sense that this was like an all-powerful master thinker, even with his name. So like, no, it he did seem smart. like no. So I was kind of <laughs> I was surprised he got the 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 the, the one up on Sinister like he did. So it would not shock me if this is like part of a larger plan because I was like, this guy got Sinister, even though you know. So how, I am thinking, yeah. And how do we know that this is the Sinister we've been following yeah. all this time? We don't know. Yeah. Because he has clones running around and, you know, yeah. maybe... The, because the thing is the fact that he was... The way he was talking about the cape, it didn't feel like he knew what happened to the cape. So, mm. you know, it felt yeah. like he didn't know where the cape was. He just got up and put the cape on. Like, it just felt <laughs> like that. And then he kind of put himself into this whole circular logic of, like, well, I can't put the cape out because I have to wear it. But if I put the cape... <laughs> like, you know, it just... This whole thing. So I'm actually kind of thinking it's not the sinister we've been following all this time well and this is actually gets to the bottom of why i actually love this scene not just because sinister is in it not because it was double cross but i want to ask these questions like i i feel like sometimes leading up to x of swords there weren't a lot of open-ended questions in the book which made it Mm -hmm. all the books which made it feel really different from the whole hoxpox vibe and like now we're starting to get into some real what ifs and that just makes me really, really excited. Not only, like, was it the actual Sinister? Did Sinister just plot this whole thing to begin with? And also, how does that relate to it coming out that Sinister has his whole own, like, homegrown backyard clone factory here, which I'm pretty sure nobody else is supposed to yeah. know about? And it does kind of feel like all of these titles, each of them are picking on one thread that they're going to start to unravel that is going to kind of bring down this whole Quiet Council balance. And certainly with Way of X coming up by Simon Spurrier, who's going to write this Nightcrawler book, feels like it's going to have a lot to do with this kind of societal discomfort mm-hmm. with Utopia. So I'm super fascinated by all that. Yes. Oh, so Priya one seems like question she's one more point move. to get in. Yeah. Yeah. One. I'm, I have one more question though. But knowing Sinister the way you know him, do you? Does it feel like he is someone who will just take tea being handed to him? Princess Bride is my answer to that question. <laughs> He's very. I haven't watched vain. Princess Bride. Yeah. Oh, it's a good I've, one. I've I read the book. That. I I read the book. The book is verbatim. The movie is verbatim. The book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, I don't remember the 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 the, uh, the poison scene. But anyway, so the thing is, like, um, so I don't I don't know. I mean, it feels like he's not someone who's just. At least that's what my takeaway from it, from knowing him a little bit, was that he's just not someone who will be taking tea just being handed to him, unless there is. A but he could be arrogant like, enough. He's he is very vain. 
but it could be like another clone who's maybe not as on the ball as Sinister Prime. So that's that. I think this makes sense. No, or maybe maybe he just just, uh, betted the other clone. It's like, hey, you drink the tea. If you lose, you drink the tea. We have seen him do that that before. So So that's why I was just thinking. I don't want to gatekeep at all about Princess Bride. Not everybody has seen all the same (laughs) geek movies as everybody else. It's incredibly charming. I would suggest it to anyone, especially if you have kids in your life to watch with, because it's a very, works on separate levels movie. And the whole thing of the poison scene is if you have two people, each who is trying to poison the other, which one of them would willingly take the cup and why? Without totally spoiling the confrontation uh, in the book and in, in, or the movie. And in The Princess Bride, both people have very good reasons to drink the thing that they think they are drinking. And that's why it made me think of this sinister and mastermind scene. But moving on now, I'm kind of, this is going to be the open discussion forum for everybody. We have a training montage here. A lot of things happen, including an all grown up orphan maker, which I know we're all hotly ready to start talking about. (laughs) But we also have some stuff with Wild Child being the alpha. We have some stuff with uh, Hellion annoying or possibly flirting with Alex. It's hard to tell. So I just open the floor to anybody who really wants to talk about the cast here, starting with Freya. What is worth pulling out from this middle section of the book? So this is the first time I'm realizing that Nanny's still in the gold ball egg. I did not realize it <laughs> all this time. Tyler talking about it. <laughs> so I know, okay, so last time when Tyler talked about it, I kind of remembered it. And I'm like, okay, I have to check it out. And then I saw it. I'm like, oh, geez, my God. And then also, um, I was, I was kind of excited about knowing what Orphan Maker's power actually is because it yeah. seems like no one knows and everyone was very scared. And mm. that plot was kind of sort of just, you know, yeah, yeah, washed away. And I, I was a little disappointed by that. But I also like that his being honed means now he's going to be a teen rebel Age. against his mom. Like, it's like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm cool now. Call me Pete. So, <laughs> so that was pretty funny because i'm like oh okay he wasn't actually a adult person all this time so he was pretty so that he was a five-year-old basically yeah like you know all this time but then he's also like apparently he's buffed up now so everything is like over pressurized for him so you know so i thought that was all of that was a pretty cool but you know and as for the other characters i mean impact constantly is still around is like gross um but then uh the rest of them i was like okay with like yeah like he's like his hone in is now like he can he's not no he cannot be one like you know he's now the alpha all the time or i don't know how he, that thing he's was. too he's too horny for his own good it's <laughs> the issue with <laughs> which, wild is, child. which is really a way that you could explain yeah. a lot of the x books but wild child has that specific <laughs> issue right now yeah so. um, and then he's also kind of sad about like it was like my pack flounders the females ignore me think me weak <laughs> and then the way he just does it is like oh like shakespearean about it i thought that was hilarious which was just, which is which is which is something that i mentioned earlier i think sigoria's art um don't usually convey that kind of things like you know but in this case in this issue i feel like he actually stepped it up like it's like there's a lot of body languages a lot of um you know uh cues in terms of like how they they are stand um standing sitting or whatever that that conveys certain messages which which is not um uh clear in some of his other earlier issues um and, and which i thought was really really interesting 
Like yeah. he's maturing in when when as you work with these characters, he 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 started doing a lot more with them. There's a lot but, of the there's a lot of angst in that page where he's just like, I'm, you know, the girls won't talk to me. Yeah. Like, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of emotion there. It's funny, but it is like that's like genuine, like a, you know, there's a good expression, yeah. you know. But he does look like a, a squished up version of Saber Tooth. Like you know, he's drawn <laughs> yeah. in a way. I was like, you know, he just squished someone, squished Saber Tooth, and then because for a certain while, I'm like, wait, is this? And then I'm like, no, no, it's not, it's not that one. But, Furia, yeah. I'm so, never going to unsee that now <laughs> of this character. Well, the, the other thing about Often Maker is that his armor has been broken before, and like black stuff has spewed out. So I wonder if his powers is actually related to that. I guess I'm the odd man out where that orphan maker scene, I was actually very tense during it. I'm like, oh my God, don't wake him up. This kid's a problem. Like, oh no, and now he's suffering. This is so bad. Like, I really was like uneasy with that. Just please, yeah. this kid's got a cursed life and apparently he's like a walking doomsday device. Yeah. Like, I don't know where this is going to go, but oh. it won't be good. Yeah, but, it struck and, me as and, very kind of like, I don't know if there's any X-Files fans in the group or uh, out mm. there on the ether, but just the whole kind of like black oil x-files kind of thing like what ooh, what is it exactly that's leaking out of his body and like what yeah. is he gonna do when it finally touches somebody Ugh. and why does it create so much tension that he's like super strong when he's in his suit you know it just the whole the whole everything about it creeped me out and i just also think that um wealth plays with some really creepy vibes about archetypes here like mm. nanny we previously saw her as this kind of very maternal don't worry i'll take you under my wing mother goose type but here she's almost being treated as like a femme fatale mommy yeah. like almost kind of like hot stepmom mom which is even <laughs> creepier because she's nanny and, no. and when she's like no like you can't watch me get changed anymore little boy <laughs> and I'm like this is legitimately legitimately disturbing I don't like um, it <laughs> so other than that part though I'm gonna say that nanny's motherhood being honed means she's now an Asian mom because he was, like that's exactly what I was I was gonna say though because he is like I don't need you dummy and it's like oh fine I, I have other kids to <laughs> yeah. my mom said that's word for word to me when I tried to say something and but I have three younger sister and my mom is like okay like you know you don't need mom I have other three and he was like yeah. no mom please no so I understood that scene and I'm like oh so she's a honed mom means Asian oh, moms mom. are honed oh, my like you know that's what it was so but the thing is the whole like hey you can't see me change. I was like, whoa, what is that about? Yeah, there are some uh, distinct takes on this scene from <laughs> person to person. Yeah, well, and also, that's awesome, though. I, I mean, I'm never going to forget that now. Uh, but, also, <laughs> but also, talking about archetypes, like, I, I really feel like Wells, in a really abbreviated sense, almost has like, all of the terrible people that you will meet in high school, like all lined up, you know, it's like Orphan Maker who's like, it's too tight, I don't like it, don't make me wear these clothes, mom, I'm cool now. And then you have, you know, Alex who's like, I'm a good dude, I'm just lifting weights. And then you have Empath doing whatever he's doing. And then you have, 
um, Wild Child who's like, I'm the alpha now, but why don't girls like me? Like, it's just the whole, it's just like the whole rainbow of toxic masculinity. It's like the toxic, toxic masculinity Power Rangers or Teletubbies, perhaps. Just all, all arrayed. And I just feel like nobody had to say anything because it was just right there. And then for it to be bookended by Nanny closing the doors and at the end, Quanan coming through the doors, I just was like, this is just smart comic making. Like, there's just so many funny little levels here. Yeah. This is what I'm looking for when I say I want good X-Men comics. It's just like dripping with personality. Like, yeah. There's so much going on with each page. All right. Other comments? I don't know, Tyler, if you've had the chance to go all in on the on the montage here, but before we move on. No, it's fine. I mean, um, this is, I mean, you guys touch on everything. I just find the relationship, the bonding between Grey Curl and uh, Wild Child a little bit weird. I, I couldn't I couldn't see that in real life, so I don't know how to, how to you know, uh, read that. Like it's like okay, uh, what what's happening here? <laughs> it's like you know, yeah. I think it, Wild it Child very is much like... a, it had yeah. a very much of a no homo energy, you know. Yeah, like, it's, like, oh, no. we're like a little, like... it's a bro no. energy, but it's a weird Look. bro energy. Wild Child, no, is yeah, but the thing energy. is, yeah. No, 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 sorry, sorry, Harry, go ahead. No, I was just going to joke. He's on Incel Avenue and he needs all the friends he can get to get him away from that place. Like, please give this guy some camaraderie. <laughs> please. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it seems like a lot of us like, yeah, we are going to like, you know, do this and touch it. Like, oh, no homo guys. Oh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it just, it really felt like that. Like what Peter said, Teletubbies of toxic masculinity. <laughs> also, I just feel like, you know, I'm in the middle of original Grey Crow when he had a different name and he was just basically the guy who liked to murder people. And I really enjoy that. I think if you want to see, he hasn't been in a lot of comics, but if you want to see the no. progression to here, you have to read a little bit of how Matt Fraction used him in the middle of Nation X. And now he's kind of like this person who's like, you don't have to just be a tough ass person all the time to be a dude. Like who's who's going to out dude Grey Crow? I'm not going to walk up to Grey Crow and like be like, oh, you're not much of a, a man because you don't like <laughs> to kill people anymore. Like he's, he's, he's got some, some major man vibes going in. So I just think it's really interesting again to like turn it on its head and use the character who maybe was the worst character previously to kind of comment on all these other characters being bad. But let's move on. So uh, so the rest of the issue takes a really interesting course. The team has a little bit of a briefing with Sage, whose systems are like a little out of whack. <laughs> And they go through this gate because Sinister's supposedly been abducted through the gate, only to fall directly into Mastermind's trap. Of course, Sinister wasn't abducted, which calls into question how much of this scene with Sage is even real. What is real? Because if did Sage actually see or think she saw Mastermind take Sinister through the gate? Did the team think they see Sage giving them this explanation? Have they even left the island? Yes, because of the cliffhanger, which we'll get to. So again, I think there's a lot of different little things to jump into here but i'd like if everybody can start um with like when do you think mastermind actually took over and then also what else did you think about this whole sequence of events starting with tyler um <laughs> i couldn't decide um i think and i think that is actually um um you know well's uh intention like he he did not want you to to know when things um is is you know is a hallucination and mm. when it is real so um i mean it could have happened between um purgatory and point it could have happened uh after they stepped through the gate uh into uh central park um you know 
it could happen anywhere in between. So, um, you know, my initial thought was that, oh, the whole thing with Sage is fake because, you know, she couldn't even bring up images. But then I was like, well, but if Mastermind is actually making up all those things, he would have been able to produce those images in the Howland's eyes. So maybe he basically, you know, um, did one round with Sage first, and then when they get through to Manhattan, um, he took over. Mm. Harry? Yeah, I mean, that's that's effectively what I thought. Um, I thought that Sage was basically kind of like bamboozled a little bit and was giving them, you know, bad info. And then the yeah. minute they walked through the gate that they... Uh, they got warped, you know, brain warped, which what is fun about this though, is that, you know, I'm still not sure. Like, I think this is that kind of like unreliable narration. that's done really well where it's just, it's just depth enough, but just enough impact that you're, 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 you're in it, you understand it, but you're not quite sure. And that, that's a hard line to walk. Cause we've mentioned other books that are uh, disorienting in a bad way. I think it's disorienting <laughs> in a good way. And I just want to say real quick, just the, the moment where Sage is like, the big dramatic moment where she's saying that Sinister's gotten captured and they just all start like laughing. That that is the moment of <laughs> that is the moment of the week for me. I belly laughed. It was so like just like perfect bit of storytelling. It's so funny. Uh, but yeah, I think the back half of this book rules. Uh, I think just like not knowing what's gonna happen next and but still being kind of locked in, that that's a that's a very fun line to walk. Freeha, so when was the wool pulled over their eyes and what else did you think about this whole sequence? So, you know, as Daddy Claremont said, you should be making up your own story between panels. Apparently mm-hmm. he said that in somewhere. So I read it today. <laughs> so so from that point, I am going to choose that for my sanity, because I am so mad about Krakowan government, that all the sage scene was real, that she wasn't so easily taken over by Mastermind, because I needed need to believe that. Because seriously, like if... No, no. Then all of this, a lot of other things falls apart If for me to not think that. So I think that all of that was real because the way they kind of laughed about it because I don't, I mean, you know, all of that was real. I also think the letter was also like, you know, she faked the letter because she, I think, feels sorry for them or, you know, trying to give them a bone. And I think she, the letter is real, but she kind of presented a different, um, you know, information out of there. I think as soon as they stepped out of the gate in New York, in Manhattan, that's when they were taken over. You know, I just need to believe that. I just need to believe that Mastermind <laughs> just couldn't walk over and then took over one firewall in Krakoa, do all of this, and then just do only this and not anything weird, like anything more, and then just left because okay like you know well and and assuming that it is actually the gate to central park it could be somewhere else and oh no no gate yeah, so. to whatever like you know i yeah. think it was like the gate to like you know gate was yeah. at that time so when the they step out moved. the gate yeah i mean maybe that he was... actually maybe maybe he actually like confused the gate you know because the gate is alive right it's just it's a cool. yeah, it's an true. extension of Krakoa. Yeah, yeah so yeah. maybe he confused the great gate and then sent them somewhere and then from there on he took over you know, yeah. I think they also got in the limo as well, and then after that, you know, won the way they were. Oh no, that that I didn't think. I do not know. think they they did. They might have just been doing chair pose in the middle yeah. of the field. Like I, I don't think they necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that's, now that's just weird, isn't it? Because now you're like some <laughs> like, people looking from the outside. These people are just yeah. sitting there, and you're like, "What the hell?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, what the hell? So. 
Well, to be yeah. clear about Mastermind, the way his power has always been paid in the past is that he, he does make semi-tangible illusions for mm. the person experiencing the illusion. And and sometimes they can just be in a hallway. Like if we go back to the classic hypno hypnosis of Jean Grey that he does, mm -hmm. like she thinks she's in another time, in another place. Yeah. She thinks he's attractive. She thinks all sorts of things. And they're just kind of like talking on a bench somewhere. So yeah. he does have the ability to make you feel like you're physically somewhere very else than where you are. To me, I, I, I love all the theories because I think Sage's memo is the thing that makes this the most interesting on a few different levels. Sage originally is a Hellfire Club character, so she has some knowledge and some thoughts of Mastermind. And so, if, and she's a human computer. So if Mastermind wants to put one over on Sage, he's got to do it really carefully. And so I actually, after kind of reading it and then going back and reading again, I think they all did share the scene that they shared in Sage's lab, but I don't think any any of them was experiencing the thing the that they thought thing. that they were experiencing. I think Sage may have actually thought the team was caring about Sinister mm -hmm. and did go off eagerly to save him and then wrote the memo truthfully. I'm not actually convinced that it was sarcasm or her covering yeah. up for them. Like, I, I honestly think maybe Sage thinks she saw that, which then took me like a whole layer deeper than I was <laughs> to begin with. Cause I'm like, well, what did they get? You know, maybe Sage didn't say anything that Sage said. I would not be super shocked yeah. if we got a replay of this scene with different really? dialogue overlaid onto it in a future issue. And I wouldn't be shocked if that didn't happen either. Yeah. So I do think they went through a gate at some point um, because I do think that clearly they're in some version of murder world. Now we can get mm -hmm. into a little bit of the final yeah. reveal here yeah. with Arcade, who I would argue Arcade's not really a great final reveal. He's not, he's, a, he's more of a set up the issue guy than a reveal guy, but yeah. we can talk about it. Um, but a couple of things I want to point out here. So Arcade, not a mutant. Uh, and here we're getting into a theme that we discussed last week, which is mutants as currency, right? He doesn't just want to put them in murder world to test them. He's got them because they're currency. So then that brings up the question, why would Mastermind be in league with Arcade? Why would Arcade want these mutants in particular if Mastermind could tempt anybody? Also, we do see Sinister alive in this yeah. final scene. Is that an Arcade robot? Is it a clone of Sinister? Was Sinister not dead from the T to begin with? Did Sinister actually get abducted? Questions on questions on questions. And then the final thing I'll throw out, because I don't have a whole lot else opinion-wise, I'm really interested in what you have to say, is I personally like Arcade when he's a little bit more arch and a little bit more um, ridiculous. I think mm -hmm. in Avengers Arena, he was pushed to this place where he was almost Carrot Top, and Carrot Top, the comedian, has been in Vegas for so long. I mean, he has this hair, but it's bright red, and he's gone from just being this like silly, nerdy guy to almost being this steroidal, giant muscle guy, but then also almost being in like drag makeup and it's just like so many different layers of camp on top of camp on top of camp that it actually can be a little bit creepy not because of any one of the thing but because of the discordant nature of looking at all the things at once and I like when they take arcade to that place now when we just go to like Poindexter with the bow tie arcade he just doesn't work for me anymore like I, I just need like a little bit I need it to be a little more elevated than bow tie Poindexter arcade for me in the year of Lord 2021, but that, that's just me. So Faria, what do you think about this final Arcadian twist? So I love Avengers Arena. Me too. Like, think, yeah, no, I love Great it. Book. So the thing is like, so based on that, I was thinking that, you know, I, I was also going into the whole mutant currency and maybe he wants to create another arena or something like yeah. that. So I was thinking, Ooh. why why these weirdos? Like the new mutants are hanging around without any protection. <laughs> pick, like he, he can literally go back and pick them back up. 
Like, you know, and I think, I mean, we're going to talk about runaways. They're hanging out wherever. A lot of them hasn't even been, cap- like, you know, arrived in Krakow. He can go pick them up as well. So it's like, so that's why I'm like, why them? Like, you know, why these weirdos? What is he getting out of there? But, you know, so that's why I was like, hmm, we'll see. Like, that's why I said this is more of a setup issue. I'm excited yeah. to see where it goes. So. Well, this is also the first time the Hellions were not sent on a mission. True. So this was a time where, you know, they actually fell into this whole thing. Um, but I, I want to point out something. I think, um, I mean, it's quite obvious that like Quanan and Grey Curl, you know, I mean, Wells is going to develop their relationship because as they are falling, they are both sort of reaching out to each other. Um, well, or at least we are meant to think that they are both reaching out to each mm. other from the panel placements. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting um, also because, um, you know, I mean, Quanan at this point in time is kind of a blank slate. So um, for her to really, um, you know, sort of like hone into um, Grey Curl, I, I thought that was, that would be a, a pretty good pairing, actually, I think. Harry, and I they also have that moment. Oh, yeah, I want. No, no, I was just gonna say that they also had that moment before, like you know, in eggs. Yeah, the AI, uh, in, in the Hellions. AI. Yeah, like the we should be for. So, yeah, I just want. It's a tangent. I want to say before I forget that I used to work at an office uh, near Orlando, which is near where uh, Caratop lived, and we'd seen every once in a while like drive by on his moped. The most surreal experience of your life is seeing Jack Carrot Top on a moped drive by. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so jealous now. I'm fully, fully I, I'll, jealous. I'll, I'll never forget. Just like is that Carrot Top like going by? Uh, no, I like our only in Florida. <laughs> it's the most right, Florida. That's such a Florida. Energy. Only, only Florida. But do you, so do you think the arcade carrot top analogy works? Like <laughs> it do, does. You... It's a very it's very apt. It makes sense. <laughs> I love Avengers Arena. I think arcade's fun depending uh, depending on the writer for me. I'm more agnostic to him. I don't know why he's going for these for these freaks and weirdos and hellions, but I just think Wells is going to crush it. I'm like, oh, this is the right character, the right person to have in this book. So I'm just like, yes, this makes perfect sense. So I'm, I'm excited. All right. Well, I think we have truly, really been through this whole issue. Does anybody have any remaining thing or receipt they would like to expose before we call it a day on Hellions number nine. You actually just crushed me telling me that my, I have to sit through more of Jean Grey being duped <laughs> and whatever hell in upcoming Epic X-Men reread. Oh which yeah, is plug just a for our other well. program. Other, yeah, other show as other well. Show. But I'm just like, oh no. One day... Peter, you're gonna make me realize why you love Jean Grey. Because as of now, I'm like, why? But anyway, another <laughs> well, that, time. That's a lot of pressure. Time. But if you, yeah. if you all want to listen to that happen on a weekly basis, we <laughs> were alternating episodes on our podcast and also on our channel, their Epic X Men reread, where Tyler and I are lovingly going through the original few years of Claremont leading up to the Dark Phoenix saga and dragging Freya, sometimes excited, sometimes kicking and screaming along with us. So that's always a really fun watch. <laughs> They're but... masterminding me, guys. They're just <laughs> <laughs> He's really no! the original gaslighter. He just, he like, 
like really hits so much now because he's got he's the OG. So now, as we do, we're going to have our lightning round of initial from the gut opinions. But I want you to include in this, if you could be so kind, if you have read any other King in Black material other than Sword Number Two, so people who are watching and listening can know where you're coming to this from. Starting with Tyler. Um, I have read the King in Black main event, but not any of the t- other tie-ins. Okay. Um, so this is a sort of between the raindrops type of story, trademarked by well, between the raindrop is trademarked by Mark Wade. So um, that that I mean the story is actually more Marauders than King in Black. Yeah. In in in, in this issue, which is. Which is kind of what I, I want if I'm just a Marauder fans and not interested in the King in Black event at all. Um, I like it, but um, it feels... I mean, it felt a little bit choppy because the point of view character was basically dropped after a third into the issue. Hmm. Which I was like, um, wait, what happened? And then um, the art, um, I think by Luke Ross, is quite good, but I wasn't exactly wowed by it. So, you know, three ice cubes out of five. <laughs> Harry. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I read all of King of Black so far. Uh, I think it sucks. I don't really enjoy it very much. Um, <laughs> I've been kind of like neutral on Donny Cates' run anyway. I, I just feel like this is like such a redundant event after absolute carnage anyway. Um, although Venom Dragons are cool. I'm not made of stone. Uh, I thought this issue was great. <laughs> I really like this. I thought this was just a nice fun like exciting adventure where the marauders are doing pirate stuff i think there's a lot of great stuff with each of the characters i think that it sets up some interesting things if the series is going to take where this issue ends and runs with it i think that's a huge development for for krakow and this line as a whole and then the biggest thing for me is you know i have not typically been that impressed by luke ross i think he's always been fine um, but I thought this art was great. I think it was kind of like a more cartoony style for him and it, it really worked for me. So I was just like, oh my God, this is like the nicest tie-in. This is like, this is what I want from these tie-in books where it does feel like it could be a random issue of the book. And I, I if, if you read, read this without reading any of King and Black, you're going to get it. There are space dragons. Yeah. Free hot. Um, so I kind of agree with both Tyler and uh, Harry and that in the sense that it's, good that I don't have to because a lot of the time Marvel tie-in can be very ridiculous it stops an entire series and then you have to kind of we've seen it with sword uh, but at least this one it was an extended uh, it was kind of outside a uh, one shot but to be honest the way the story read it could also be just a murderer's uh, story anyway um, so throughout it I would say that this was more of a three venom dragons out of five but there was one information that one thing that one person says at the very end made it five out of five and i'm gonna reveal it later so but i'll i'll hold on to that but the yeah. thing is like i i mean from from that point of view that's my initial gut reaction all right mental note Freya is setting up the gun to go off in the third act we're gonna find <laughs> right. out later. in the third act you gotta come back yeah. to it yeah <laughs> right. keep listening you gotta watch the whole thing so um i would i had a lot of reactions to this i have so many feelings uh I'll start with the art. I too have enjoyed Luke Ross, but I sometimes he thinks he draws almost like too broadly. Like I'm like, give me like a little bit more detail. And actually I feel like he found like a really great middle ground here that just really worked for me. Uh, I think if this was an artist that was alternating with somebody like Lolly on the main title, I would mm-hmm. be totally okay with that. Like I think it just captured yeah. 
good Marauders energy for me. And I think the colors by Carlos Lopez were really good too. So I, I was into that. Um, I was really just kind of confused about why it wasn't a regular issue of Marauders. Like you would think that the sales bump would be more if they made it a regular issue of Marauders. It's written by Jerry Duggan. It pretty much just fits into what's happening in Marauders right now. Mm -hmm. So I just was like really, really puzzled because to me, this was good Marauders. It shows that the cast has always been good. The premise has always been good. And I think we've gotten distracted so much by the like Emma K Kate Shaw stuff that we've almost forgotten that the, like this is how much fun this book was to begin with and the Emma Kate Shaw stuff is fun too don't get me wrong but like this is kind of what I actually signed up for yeah, I, I mentioned I that say. I think I think I've mentioned that where I'm like we're, we haven't done a lot of pirate stuff lately in the book and this book is all pirate stuff and with yeah. characters we haven't had a focus on it so it's awesome you know yeah, like make it like a point one issue or just run it in the run or something. Like Marauders gonna maraud. Like let's have some marauding. <laughs> in let's the maraud main, this. In the main <laughs> so um so and to to answer my final part of my intro question, but to spin us off. So I have, because of Harry, read all of King and Black. It's your fault, Wait, Okay. What did I do? Because you were like, well, <laughs> I've read some of King and Black. And then I was like, all right, I've gotta read it, I guess. <laughs> Um, you I just wanted to one-up Harry. You just wanted to one-up Harry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, 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 it made me curious. And here's all you really need to know is Venom Dragons or Symbiote Dragons. That's really all you need to take away. The mm. the balance problem I think King of Black is having without, we're not going to discuss this because unless somebody super disagrees with me because it's not what the focus of this episode is about, is it's got this amazing, horrific, huge scale character in the middle of it and yet the stakes are very much the stakes of like every other venom story it's like oh no somebody got a simp storm got a symbiote on her <laughs> which is what we're dealing with in this story and it's like at the point you have a character that cool as null and the point that you have this fleet of dragons like shouldn't it be more interesting and i think what duggan does really successfully here is he's like let's not even get into all that i'm not even wading into that let's just as tyler said stay in between the raindrops and do a story about people because the stakes are actually a bit off kilter here and I'm mm -hmm. not going to fix that in one issue. And I really appreciated that. So, uh, you know, we're at sea here. And I think one of the most interesting things that's happening in the background of being on sea is this balance with Bishop. Bishop the Bishop. Bishop the Red Bishop, yeah. right? Yeah. We see Kate deferring to him because he's going to be in charge once they make landfall. We see yeah. Pyro having some skepticism of him. And I just feel like I, I want this story. Like, I'm hungry. I don't know. Tyler, mm -hmm. what did you think about just the Bishop developments here? Well, definitely. I mean, um, we have data pages. I can't, I can't remember what, if it is one or two, where um, uh, Bishop basically writes a report to Beast about mm -hmm. what happens in Marauders. Right. So the question now is this: Beast is not on the Quiet Council; he's an intelligence unit. So, who's? I mean, what allegiance is Bishop? You know, um, where? Who is he? You know, um, loyal to? Is right. he loyal to Beast? Um, is he part of the secret intelligence officer? Is he loyal to Marauders because he's he's there? Um, in well, in his monologue, he's there to protect Kate. Or is he a war captain who is whose loyalty is to Krakoa? So you know, I mean, I I, I feel like um, Pyro is basically saying, well, it seems like your loyalty is to the intelligence unit and not mm. us. Harry? Well, he said that twice. Oh, I mean, the first time was like, you sure like talking to cops. And then he's like, <laughs> so good. That was yeah. such a zinger, man. In this day, in this day and age, in this X Men line, that really hit. 
And then for a black character. And right? then saying yeah, it to like a black levels. character. Yeah. 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 And then it's like, your, uh, what, your, your, your blue furry pampel or something like that <laughs> towards the end. I won't lie. I forgot about the connection of the X-Force and the Bishop until like halfway mm-hmm. through the issue, but it, it worked so well for me. I've been kind of, you know, I've said before, I've been wanting more focus on, on Pyro and Bishop. And this was a, you know, you're right, Tyler, that it kind of gets a little scattered at one point, but yeah. it is like a more Bishop focused issue. And I find this fascinating because you're right. I don't know what side this guy's on. I don't know if he's loyal to the intelligence team. I don't know if he's loyal to the Marauders. Like I do like that this book is incorporating this whole beast sucks kind of storyline from S- X-Force. You know what I mean? Like We like any book that incorporates the beast sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I love this. If you keep this theme going in all the books, I'm going to be happy. But no, it's like, it's just good. Like, I hope, I really hope this continues in the main uh, the main series, just what is going on with this guy's allegiances because it's it's so interesting in, in a very kind of like, like uh, effortless way. It just feels good. Freya? So we know that Bishop is from a future where mm-hmm. they hunted all the mutants down and put mm-hmm. M's on them, right? You know, from the X Factor. I I read that. So um, she so knows the, stuff. like I know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the thing is, because of that, I think he is very skeptical about Krakoa. So I highly doubt he actually has any loyalty to Krakoa to that level. You know, um, what my kind of like, you know, going back to again, the inefficiency of it all, because as an engineer, inefficiency of any level sucks. For me, it's like a physical <laughs> torture point. Um, so it's like another thing. It's like, why can't they just have an open, like, you know, dis- like, you know, communication, like one is talking to the other out in the open anyway, because you should have your black market operation talking to your intelligence service why not have that out in the open why going through secretly going all of that because if bishop decides to leave the team then what and you know the vice versa they just like i was like okay fine there's another level of mystery sure you know but it just it just like you know when you're talking about when you take the whole of rocks in total like you know it just becomes okay is no one talking to no one is anything being efficiently <laughs> run what, what is going on like that's i think well we're gonna we're gonna talk about x factor that's the only thing that's efficiently being run well but, but anyway but the thing otherwise... is this right like i mean to your point um the krakoa system beast is the gatekeeper of information that is the problem so all right. information feeds to him and then I think he reports to the Quiet Council. So if you remember the 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 picture of the tree, no, I get that. Yeah. No, but that's what I'm saying. So why is Bishop having to do this secretly? You know, like no, why is not that not an official his official title? Yeah. Like why hasn't Kate, Emma, and them just told him officially, like, hey, just go talk to Beast. Yeah. Like you're gonna be our communication director. You know, for the for this chapter of Krakoa. Why but not? But because, they are not doing that. Yeah, because we have just said it, it is it is Beast doing what Beast does best. Sucking? Being, yeah, being shitty. <laughs> shady, shady nonsense, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, Ugh, okay, whatever. Sure. You've all brought up such interesting points here, and I think it's gotten me a lot deeper than I was to begin with on the stuff. Like, I don't think I was here when I asked this bishop being bishop question, because there are layers, right? He's from this alternate future where mutants were hunted and feared, but then he becomes a cop in that future, which is how he comes back to the past. 
and I don't, I don't, and I don't think we need to play the whole Bishop genocidal madman through time thing in yeah. order to just say that he does have some connections with X Force. Even the repair of him as that character happened mm. in an X Force title in Uncanny X Force by Sam Humphreys. So I think there are many intrinsic values of Bishop that are X Forcey and copy. And I think, especially to have that be your one black character in your cast now that Storm is no longer officially on the cast, although she hasn't left yet here, which calls into question if this is like before or after the prior issue of Marauders. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that that's all really fascinating. So I think what looks like just a little dig from Pyro is actually something that's quite cleverly loaded with a lot of not only Bishop's history, but who is Bishop in terms of this utopia? And I think you all just nailed it. Like how much could this person who's lived through these things actually trust what is going on on this island? But the final thing I took away with it that I, I don't think all of you really talked about is this understanding between Kate and Bishop. They're not yeah. characters that have a whole ton of history with each other. In fact, mm -hmm. I'm hard pressed to even think of times that they've been on the team together before. Mm -hmm. But uh, but they have this really great understanding of they're gonna go and both kind of do their mission in the same way. And yeah. they're both characters that while they want to be optimistic, they're ultimately very pragmatic, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a very Kate Pride kind of thing. It's a very Bishop thing. They just come from that pragmatism from two different sides. Kate tends to come to it from a more idealistic standpoint. Bishop comes to tend to come to it from a more cynical standpoint. And in that moment, I was like, huh, this is actually like a really neat moment of respect and balance between yeah. two X characters who actually I'm struggling to think if they've ever talked to on panel yeah. before. I'm sure somebody in the comments will probably tell me when that was. But I think this brings us along to Kate, right? Kate yeah. as a leader here. And that Kate, in my take on it, she leads with compassion. She has a mission and she's being pragmatic, but she also cares. And that what makes what makes her a really unique leader in the X-Men. She's not gonna react in the way that Cyclops does in his very single-minded one eye on the prize kind of way. Uh, she's not gonna react the way that Storm does where she's like, I've led people before. She's gonna react with the heart. And I think that that's what takes her off course here. And then even after they get off course to look after these folks that are beset by dragons in this dragon storm, they go on off course yet again into looking into something that's a little fishy about this and then go off course a third time in <laughs> finding these refugees and taking them somewhere when their friends who they love are currently symbiotized in New York City. Thoughts about Kate here, anybody? And kind of this progression. Could we have gotten through the story with anybody other than Kate being in charge, Freya? So Kate is the Freya character of the issue. I'm going to start assigning that from now on. Because when she first said that, man, Spider-Man really need to get a handle on these things, you know, I was like completely connected but it kind of goes back to i had the whole rant in x-men 15 about cyclops being an idiot and then you know how he's just like complete you know completely going one thing and then doing another thing and then but this her decisions over here make sense because she is going to save someone who is lesser like you know who is weaker who is not, who needs, who genuinely needs help mm -hmm. to her at that time. You know, later on we find something to other things. But, you know, so she kind of is going for that. So it's, it feels okay for her to veer off from the, from the whatever the mission is, you know. And maybe because I really don't care for Cyclops, so he can die. Maybe that's why. Like, I'm like, oh, Cyclops. And I know Storm can handle herself, so I'm like, I'm not even worried. Uh, so that's why probably, I mean, I'm like, oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense that, yes, you're going to be compassionate and you're going to move away from the from your whatever your actual mission is to go save someone who needs more help. I want to I want to pull something out of that before I totally forget during the go-round is 
in every instance, you can see almost in the art, credit to, to the artist, Kate kind of looking at both sides of it. Even when she says to Bishop, what are we actually going to do? But like in that moment with the Morse code, like, and that's something that a lot of times when Cyclops makes like, we're making the hard call. Like you don't <laughs> yeah. really get that moment where, where you see him make the consideration. And I know it's supposed to communicate to you that it's more instinctual, but I like that we had to watch Kate think. That was to me, what you pulled out, I think what was so appealing to me is I thought I got to see her think four different times as the leader. I don't know, Harry, are you with us? Are you on some other path? Yeah. Where are you down there? Well, no, you said it best, Peter, is that just, you know, Kate is the character with the most heart in all of these books, I feel. Like, it is the one just like, you know, the right thing is going to get done. She does think she does think about it for a hot minute, but, like, like it does, like, it feels right that she would just turn from the mission and just do some good, solid super superheroing out on the seas, and that is kind of what separates her from Cyclops, who would whine a bit about having to... Get away from the mission or you know he cried to himself anyway, like yeah it's just it just felt right it, it also felt like a good thing showing that yeah these characters are heroic they do just do good solid things yeah. it's just like it's not complicated it's just just super heroic just very satisfying and it works so well like it's just very very solid tyler i mean to the point of kate and bishop um relationship i mean i thought you know, it's, it's also really great that these two characters have no ego because mm. basically, you know, Bishop could have stepped in and said, no, this is a war I'm taking over right now. Yes. And or Kate can be like, no, I'm well, I'm as Kate mentioned, if you do that, I would have pushed you down and <laughs> see if you drown. But, you know, but the, the fact is that they respect each other and they know where their um, authority lies. So before they land, Kate is firmly in charge of this group, but after they land, Bishop takes over because they are at war now. So I, that was interesting. But my question, though, is that is it Kate's compassion that compels her to go rescue the, um, you know, the, the to, to answer the distress call? Because, you know, I mean, she's also really, and she, I mean, she's she has proven that she's intelligent, right? She knows that well, so what if Cyclops and Storm dies? They can be resurrected. <laughs> you know, but these people in distress, they may not be mutants. They they may not they, they, they don't get the chance to be resurrected. And the fact that she just went through resurrection, she just went through a difficult res resurrection in some ways, um, that might have, you know, made that decision even easier for her. You know, it's like, look, um, these people could die and that's it for them. But, you know, Cyclops and Storm, well, I love I love Storm, but, you know, if they die, they die. They can be brought back. They already so. have once in, in Hawks yeah. Hawks. So like well, not know. Storm. Only, right, only right, Scott. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no Storm deaths. Yeah, I don't yeah, think. Not yet. Um, seen. I mean, it, like I said, Kate is the furry character of the issue. She does not care about Cyclops. Like, you know, and then we know that Kate is not compassionate. Woman, like, you know, girl left to close us at the altar. Like, we know that, oof. Like, you mm. know, she is like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. This wedding is not, not happening. No. So, okay. well, go my there. read of the scene is slightly different, but then let's not get there. Yeah. That'll be for <laughs> X Men. For another. Reread. 20 yeah. years from now when we get all the way up to 2017 and 2018. Um, time. Yeah. I, yeah. But I do, I can't help but also thinking about the way that she was positioned in that run where like Kate didn't sign up to be the leader, but the, her being a leader brings something else 
to the book dimensionally because she really is the next generation taking charge in the same way that Danny Moonstar reads really differently when she's in charge. And I think mm -hmm. there's something to that. But now let's go to the final big topic of this, which is the rescue mission turns out to be of refugees, of immigrants who thought they were going safely, not to the United States in a very, very pointed <laughs> no. dig from Dugan, but to Canada. And so Kate has to decide what to do with these um, human traffickers Right? Does she just leave them to drown? Does she turn them over to the dragons? Or does she do something else? And she's also got to decide what to do with these immigrants, uh, these refugees, in a, in a hot second, because she doesn't have that long to make the decision. I didn't get the sense the boat was going to be able to hold them all for that long, <laughs> yeah. quite frankly. So I have a suspicion that this might be as, uh, where Faria's gun goes off here, that she promised us in the third act, especially because it has to do with where the refugees wound up on the last page. So let's start with Tyler and Harry, and then Faria can bring us home if we have not yet gotten to where Faria wanted to go, or even if we have. So Tyler, uh, what did you make of this? Well, the first thing is I love the visualization of the Morse code. Um, <sighs> because before Bishop mentioned it, I was like, oh, wait, why is that weird thing there? Yeah. You know, like, the what dots, is, dots. What is it? Yeah, what is that? So it's basically three short taps, three long taps, three short taps as uh, SOS, which is um, kind of pretty well known. Um, in, in terms of Morse code. So it's, you know, short, long, short, three times. But um, but I love that. And um, the other thing is that um, I don't understand... Okay, two questions. Why is there a gate in the middle of the desert? Well, I think like, Sage just set it up, like, on the spot. Yeah. Just no, but you need to thought. plant... You need to plant the flower to grow the gate. Yeah. That is a good point. <laughs> so that's the thing. That was a part which I was a little bit confused by. And she even and said, then, what's the gate that's like the most remote? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so what's the plan? That's the one thing. The other thing is that, um, are they circumventing the law of not killing humans by just basically, hey, go to the desert. We didn't kill, we didn't, we did not kill you. I, I <laughs> left them some water. I mean, they're yeah. going to oh, be It's not like the boiling desert because there's venom goo. So they're going to survive. It's just going to be deeply uncomfortable <laughs> and painful. It's kind of like the we're going to skirt by not killing you, but you're going to have a really cruddy day, you know? Mm. But it is like it is pretty harsh all the same. That's a whole day's walk like in the friggin' desert. Like that's not nothing. Well, I mean, the other thing I kind of liked is that um, the, well, I mean, we, we mentioned about uh, Bishop and Beast earlier, but, you know, it, it is actually a collaboration between Percy and Dugans, right? Because yeah. the books are cross-referencing each other. Like, the Order of Acts appears in all four titles that are written by them. Cable, Wolverine, X-Force, and Marauders. And then you have the, um, the X-Desk, which is which appears in all four types. Um, not all four, but like three of them. So, 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 so these two these two writers are actually referencing each other, which kind of, um, I mean, to me, I, I like it because I like those um interconnectivity, but not necessarily like oh yeah, I have to go read this issue and then that issue to understand everything. But you know, you get a sense that this is a bigger world than yeah. you know just this book. And, and for me, you know, I don't, maybe it's just this one issue and they might not ever come, you know, keep following through with it. But like, there are humans like on the island. That seems pretty big. Like, I've been like, well, I was like, finish the issue. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Not on the main island. Though. Not, the, the, main island, not the main island. Yeah. But yeah. they are like, they, they did like, 
do a quiet moving of a large group of people in the proximity. Yeah. Oh, right. They go through. To, they go through. The yeah. yeah. That was interesting to me. I was really shocked yeah. by that. That, that, that yeah, they let them talking. just walk right through Sage's little room. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like it seems pretty interesting. I want to see if that ever gets followed up on. Like they didn't, you know, they went past the quiet cancels kind of, you know, their, what, what, what would have happened if they put it to a vote? It just seems like a mm-hmm. big, like we are now working outside the, the government's uh, decrees, you know. Yeah. It's kind of the theme this week, right? Like, well, let's not get the Quiet Council fully informed <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which brings us to Friha. So my five out of five came from the fact that the lady says like, oh, no, not America, Canada. As a can- Canadian, I was like, yes, that's the country you want to be. You don't want to be, well, you know. He also torched. Also torched my beloved Florida. No, I wouldn't say beloved, but go. <laughs> yeah, Florida. You know. Uh, but the second thing is, I'm. The, I was actually kind of. Sh- I'm pretty sure those. They actually killed those humans. Like there is no way because they wouldn't have put them through the island and then sent them out in hopes that there is some like you know someone witnessing. And the way they left the ice on the thing, those ice is not gonna survive. Like you know. And the thing is, it's actually very very good visualization because. They're the journey that they have set them on. These are the very similar journey that refugees take when they are trying to escape the, like you know, the, the persecution or something that they are trying to find, trying to very run away point. from. So they just put them back in that whole sensation, like whole, you know, experience. And I think like to the same point though, because I have read a couple of stories, like you know, not a lot. So I'm not no way, shape or form authority on this. But the thing is, a lot of the time, um, some of the uh, people who are running away from different African dictators actually go tend to hide in through the desert to their safety, you know. So that's why I think the gate is there. Don't quote me on that. That's just, I've read a couple where this kind of happened. So I don't know whether that's what, because they did say it's a Namibian uh, desert, right? Like, you know, it is somewhere in Africa. So I wonder if that's it's that's why it is, but I don't know. Maybe Namibia is not in Africa, I don't know. But uh, I was kind of thinking about that from that point of view. But um, another thing I do want to mention though, it's like um, when they're, uh, she's talking to Emma. So Emma's like, yeah, save Scott. And then she says, oh, Storm as well. I thought that was a very pointed, moment. <laughs> pointed moment. And then, you know, and then Magneto's just hanging out with her. And then he's just like, yeah, say it, say it again. Like, you know, yeah. I'm like, wow, look at him. He changed, you know, because now he's like taking his thing off. And then, you know, they're both like, you know, cons- like you know, having their own little bonding outside of Quiet Council and everything. I'm like, well, that's really nice. I mean, you know, come on. Emma, girl, leave Scott. There's she's hot there's, for Scott for yeah, reasons just, we don't understand. No, yeah, he, I just, he, he take I, off uh, he take off his helmet because his helmet is um is is protected against telepathic um, oh, I know. powers. Oh, I know. okay, yeah, 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 I know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's just that's very that's the very level pointed. of trust. Yeah, yeah, that's a very pointed thing because you know, like I said, we're. Uh, like you know, we're doing Daddy Clamor's run now. And earlier, it's like it's oh, very different. No, that very was different. taken off by another Quiet Council man from his head very recently. Versus yeah. now, he's just taking it yeah. off himself. Like yeah. you know, so I thought that 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 kind of brought it all together in the sense that I'm like, oh, look how far we have come. Well, so. also, it really it, I thought it was funny because it was very like 
person who has their earphones in or like person who's not like paying attention to the kids or whatever because that's very Magneto he's it's almost like he's been wearing the helmet for so long that he wouldn't even even thought like oh Emma's having a conversation maybe I might want to tune in and so then he's like takes out the headphone oh mind catching me up and Emma just like totally exasperated like this probably happens all the time is like yes <laughs> I know you are listening old guy get into our instant messaging via the via mind right. you know let me plug you in so uh yeah, I think you all covered it really well. And I think the only other thing I would pull out here is where we end up, right? This is, it's from the giant-sized X-Men Magneto issue, I think. Or is it the is it Magneto's classic Lovecraftian Eldritch this Island? This is the, yeah, this is Octopussy Island. It, so, okay, Octopussy yeah. Island. And <laughs> the thing that really struck me is the final two panels here, which is really quite the reversal for the way that Magneto is speaking to humans way back and House of X 1, where he's mm -hmm. like, we're your gods now, more or less, mm -hmm. that he's opened his home to these people. They're giving them plants to grow trees. And he's like the only, you know, we're going to work with governments. We're going to find a home for you, which, you know, really resonates if you think about Magneto's history with the Holocaust. Yeah. And he's and he says, the only thing that I want from you is that many stories will be written of Krakoa's might, but the one you may tell should be of her Mercy. Mercy. And I just thought that that was such a significant little Magneto moment. Really powerful. Kind of caught me off guard and struck me dumb here. And, uh, and, it's and it a, was in the final two it, panels of this Venom tie-in. King and Black. And it, yeah. and it it was a recreation for a classic X-Men uh, backup, backup story. Or backup yeah. story of Magneto. See, I'm becoming I'm becoming an expert now. You know, <laughs> you, I'm becoming so dangerous yeah. right now, you guys. I mean, it's gonna be but, it's not gonna be good. Yeah. But it's like very much yeah. word for word the same thing that he said. Mm. But over there, he was saying you're gonna be saying about Magneto's mercy. But now it's gonna mm. be you're gonna be talking about Krakoa's mercy. And I think it's also a very much of a you know thing. But I was just like so taken aback by, by like you know Magneto and Trudeau, Justin Trudeau having a moment like in having a meeting i was just thinking all about that as a canadian i was just thinking about that i was like oof. i just i love the like it's you know the, the dialogue was really bringing a lot of it. i just love that tender moment where she's skipping rocks and magneto like lands and just starts skipping them with her just like yeah. well not skipping just he's too like well yeah but like he's, he's, he's not, he's not using his powers he's not flying he's yeah. just throwing rocks talking with someone that's that's such a quiet nice moment you know but you so, also have to see that the 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 tone he uses with different human yeah. though, because mm -hmm. these humans are not the he's they're not the powerful people. leaders ruining yeah. like powerful other, yeah yeah like they don't have secret agendas. I think right. that's the difference. Right, yeah. they're not they're not the same type of people he's used to dealing humans he's used to dealing throughout his life. So he's like these are these are completely different and someone he can connect to because I'm pretty sure as a Holocaust survivor he also was in a situation like this. Yeah, you know where he was in a temporary housing. Well, he's also he's also he's also playing a different role now, right? He's a government. He represents Krakoa. He's he's no longer representing himself or claims to represent for mutants. Because Krakoa now is a recognized country. So he's he's kind of the head of a state. Mm. You know, that kind of role. So so his position is has to be different. He he cannot be um yeah, I mean, you know, for, for these refugees, his his stance is slightly different, but his his um point of view has changed. It has it's no longer 
what Magneto needs. It's what Krakoa needs. And he's, in some ways, he's he's becoming a politician because nothing comes free. Mm. There is always a little bit of a hook, you know, in whatever we do, um, as a you know as a politician, in that sense. Well, I think in summation, Jerry Duggan, we see you writing that good Magneto content, and and we're loving it. And I think we have covered much more than many people might have thought there was to cover here in King and Black Marauders. <laughs> but it turns out it's actually really dense with stuff. And I think what you've heard from all four, is, four of us is, we really hope that it's going to come and have an impact on the rest of Marauders and not just be mm -hmm. forgotten because there's a lot of interesting material here. So for X Factor number seven, I want to hear your from the gut reactions. And oh boy, is there a lot to get into in this issue? So try to keep it tight for these initial reactions, starting with Tyler. <laughs> well, this is the best issue this week. And um, what stood out is how Williams juggle the large cast and develops the, the different relationships while at the same time advancing the plot and then ending with the hell of a cliffhanger. Um, the art by Baldion is the usual expressive art, which really enhances the story in this issue. 4.8 fleet seats out of 5. <laughs> Harry! Alright, so I've been on record really loving this book, and I'm sorry, this it's just getting better. Like This is the best issue of the series so far. There is so much happening in this book and it's all great like it's there's so many different tones from discussing trauma to just straight up like romance stuff that got me super excited like it's there's so much happening in this book and and it's all done so well like this this just felt like dense in in the best use of the word and um the art was great it, it the only thing i would say is that the cliffhanger while very cool it is a little jarring that is the only thing i can think of so i would give it uh 4.6 jagged pieces of wood going through a character's body <laughs> don't know why I, did that I don't know one, but we're going with it. Dragon are, are better or worse than that situation. Uh, so I was not very very much jiving with X Factor when I when it first came out because I was like, I don't know any of this character. But since then I went and read a bunch of more books. Now I know this character and I'm dangerous, you know, about my feelings about these characters. And I've already read X Factor. So with knowing all of that, something really clicked for me in last issue. And since then I'm loving it. I want it to be X Factor every week. I want it to be X Factor every day. And I'm all here for it. So I'm gonna give it five out of five young person. Five young person out of five. <laughs> you know, I think there's been a lot of good books and some great books in this X-Men run of everything in the Hicksman era so far. And to me, what elevates a book from being like great just for its line to being great in all of comics. And let's be clear, I read at least 55% of all US released comics every single week is it's something that rewards you for loving the characters, and it's something that rewards you even if you don't love the characters. And it's hard for me to come from that second component because I've read so much of these characters, but they're not necessarily my favorites. And I just think that this book is maybe the first X book of this line to me that has stuck its nose up above the waterline, and it's actually just great comics without me having to say it's great X-Men comics. And that's because mm -hmm. I think Baldion and, and Williams are doing something that made comics great in the 80s and the 90s, which is they're mostly just writing about these characters who yeah. happen to be in a very thrilling plot. So we're going to get into that some more, but I think the final thing I would just say is these are two creatives, along with their, their letterer and, and uh, their colorist, who maybe don't 
don't get given enough time in a book usually. You know, do mm -hmm. we usually get Baldion being on a book and not just getting replaced after an art? You know, this is William's first true ongoing here at Marvel. And it just goes to show, like, don't cut these books off at the knees. Sometimes a book needs to get to issue seven before it's like running like a locomotive and you cannot catch it because it's just going so great and it's making you so excited. And that's X Factor for me. I just think it's stunning, stunning. Okay, so I want to, a lot of things were threaded throughout the issue. So you're going to notice we talk mm -hmm. about a couple of things that are not just constrained to one scene, but are maybe an interaction that we see across several parts of the issue, just so that we don't talk about every panel, which is the danger when we're talking about <laughs> Baldion's art. Uh, and so the first thing I want to talk about is Prodigy and Speed, Speed dating, Speed making out, and Speed fanning over North Star. Because there's a lot of aspects in this. I'll just throw a lot out there and you can pick and choose what you want to talk about. There's just their relationship in general and um, wonderful, wholesome bisexuality in, in comics. I love it. There's also how did Prodigy die exactly? We get a mm. very interesting conversation in Data Page about that that we were arguing about before we came on the air. Uh, and then we also have Speed as a young character who hasn't gotten a whole heck of a lot of development. He's kind of the lost young Avenger in some <laughs> ways who just gets this hilariously brilliant scene with Northstar that could have seemed just like exposition. But to me, it just had so much more content in it about Northstar and about Speed than exposition. So choose your poison, people. You can take any of those con any of those things, or you can choose something else. But I want to talk about the whole Prodigy Speed Northstar arc of the issue. Tyler. Um, I mean, <laughs> I think the, the 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 main thing that stuck out from me between Prodigy and Speed is that um, you know, I initially thought. Like, why is Prodigy lying to um to to speed? Because I thought that you know he was saying, oh, you know, I died during the one attack in um New Mutants, which was like way it's, before it's... Speed was introduced. Right. So, um, so, but that's yeah. clearly not what he was talking about. <laughs> exactly, and um, I mean, I went back. Well, while we were discussing it, I browse through the Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men in, um, in, in, in Unlimited. And yeah, I mean, Prodigy did not appear there at all, for sure. So, um, so what we know is that he is actually, well, he really believes that he died then. So what exactly happens? Um, you know, it occurs to me suddenly that if... I have someone like Prodigy that is already resurrected and walking around Krakoa. I would not go looking. I would not go and look for the original Prodigy, the powerless Prodigy, that is no longer a mutant. That Cerebral will probably not detect because there's no body that they're aware of. There was no X Factor at that time. Exactly. There is no proof of death. So is it somebody who wanted to basically say, hey, let them resurrect him while I have this guy with me? Or, you know, did Prodigy do that because he's off doing some other thing? Because we have seen that, um, you know, in, in Academy X, New X-Men, that Prodigy may not be good if you know in certain circumstances 
So I, I thought that was the interesting part. Um, I mean, there's there are a lot more interesting part, but I don't want to hop the whole whole, <laughs> whole talk. I mean, uh, the whole topic on 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 my thoughts. But so I'll just hand the mic over to either one of you three. Yeah, Harry? I um, yeah. So those are all very good questions. I'd love to see where it's going. But but for me, uh, this is such a great way to start off the issue because I love Alan Heinberg's Young Avengers run. It's one of the first comics I ever read. I love Karen Gillan's Young Avengers run. I think Tommy's like a character that does not get a lot of play, as you said. But like he's always got a really fun energy that I recognize. And I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my god, like they're an actual couple. This is awesome. Like they've got a great beat in Young Avengers that's moved along to here. I guess there's some stuff in Empire that I didn't know about. But like, I was just like, just so sucked up in the dramatics of it all where I'm like, I want like Tommy in this group. He's already got too many characters, not not actually, but like there's already so many, but like he's so much fun to have in this book. And I just think it's a really sweet back and forth of the two of them. I was just like, oh, this is great. This is a great start to the issue. And then it just gets better. It's, it's great. By the way, I mean, being gay, it is really true. Like, want to make out? That's, that happens all the time. <laughs> my, yeah, one of my favorite moments in the Young Avengers with Karen Gillan is it's got that, like, when they when they meet in, a, the, like, a halfway point in Young Avengers, Tommy's just like, so yesterday I was at a club swinging my shirt over my head, and I just realized something about you, Prodigy. It's just, like, such a fun relationship there, and now it's become much more advanced here. Mm-hmm. They just rule. Freya. So you know that I love competence porn and this issue from front to back was filled with competence porn, but mostly it was North North Star's whole competence porn thing that was going on. But it was even better because it's gay competence porn. So I was like <laughs> all about it, you know. Um, the thing is though, I would say North Star kind of reminds me of you, Peter, because the way he talks, <laughs> like it's like, hey, young person, what are you doing here? How can I help you? I mean, there's something, there's an energy hello, about youth. him that is, hello, youths, like, you know, that is very I much very like, hello, youths. I mean, that is a very <laughs> No, but he's also very like, I know, very like perfectionist is like, you know, trying to get everything kind of done, everything. So from that, I was like, this is Peter. Like, you know? So I kind of like that. So, but the thing is like, I just like the whole, whole thing of it and now that uh, Tanner pointed out that this prodigy may not be the real prodigy and it's kind of adds a little bit different layer to it because the thing is that you know he's also one who's creating a mutant graveyard or like mutant uh, you know thing yeah. behind the yeah. backyard and everything so and we do like you know we do know from academia that he has a very different trajectory in life if his power was allowed to roam free so i don't know whether that's how is that coming in now that also brings the question is moira doing that then like is she's the one who is allowing this to happen you know so that I mean, you know, I'm kind of excited about going all that, but going to all of that. But the thing is, like, I just love from front to back. And then also, I think Peter uh, pointed out that, uh, you know, he he is um, sorry. Tommy Tommy's uncle is Quicksilver, who is a speed star as well. But he's like North Star, you're my hero. And then <laughs> to that point, also another question is like, how does Exodus feel about Pretender's child walking around in on the island? Like, you know, he is Wanda's child. Like, you know, we have seen his birth. 
<laughs> you know the thing is spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry. Oh. sorry 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 like you well, know, I just bleeped but... out some great spoilers from three of yeah, them sorry <laughs> you heard it stop here. it and <laughs> stop it <laughs> um, but the thing is but the thing is like um, no I mean that's what I'm saying that it's just like a lot of that is also kind of Bringing it is like okay. At first, I was like, "Oh, how does he coming to the island?" But mm-hmm. you know, it kind of makes sense. He just walked over the over the ocean. Uh, but the thing is, like, I'm just kind of thinking that how others feel about Pretender's son being on the island. Like, you know, I don't know if that's gonna go well with White Council. Oh boy, how am I gonna do this <laughs> and not talk for an hour? Just have to be at uh. star speed. Okay, no, go talk talk, um, talk for an hour. <laughs> I could on do one it. breath. Uh, <laughs> So the first thing here is, you know, Tommy was in the preview, so everybody knew he was going to be there. And I think all of X-Men Twitter and X-Men fans, even on Facebook, I saw some of it, was like, does this mean he's a mutant? He's on the island. And I guess it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, if you're not reading X-Factor, that seems like the thing that is fascinating. But if you're reading X-Factor, it's like, you're not, you're not even thinking about it on that level because there's so many other things happening in X-Factor. And it's just, to me, that X-Factor has this whole little world that's going on that like, actually, to most X-Men fans, the thing that would be fascinating, which is, does this mean Tommy's a mutant? For us, we're like, I don't know, he ran there. Let's just keep talking about this. I just, I think that that's really fun. And I do kind of assume he just ran there. There's no hint that he came or went through a gate. And I think that absolutely, honestly, Freya's point is a huge point, which is like, yes, somebody's going to have an opinion about Wanda's kid being on the island. It's just not the thing to focus on yet. But now the seed has been planted. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, two is, and I definitely want to hear from the rest of you because I'm not necessarily the, the best person to talk about this. But, you know, we have Leah Williams as, a, as an out by writer writing an X-Men title with multiple bi and, and gay and characters and characters who identify in other spaces on the spectrum. And you have this great conversation between Tommy and Northstar and also with Prodigy there that is about mentorship of one gay man to a youth who, I don't know, I can't remember if Tommy's gay or bi or questioning, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about just them communicating to each other about their trials and tribulations as gay men, although that's an important story too. It's not about grief. Nobody's been put in a refrigerator. Their lives are not at risk. This is just genuinely somebody getting to look up to a gay man as his idol and the gay man getting to say, I'm a world-renowned expert at being me. (laughs) And I'm like, people get this all the time, especially men in comic books. And when have you ever, can any of you ever even think of this conversation ever happening with a gay character before. I can't. And I was just like, this is what happens when you have a writer who's like looking at these characters as whole people, intersectional people, not just people who are their one thing, but people who are around identity that's been developed for decades. And you write that. And it's just like stunning to me. Like I, I, I just couldn't get over it. It's really one of the most powerful things to ever read in a comic book. And it was powerful and funny instead of being powerful and tragic. And I just... I just was totally speechless until so now. To me, to me, <laughs> that was so good. Uh, to, to me, that this is the magic of Hickman's work. Like this, this is what he always does. Though, is that he takes away all the useless human nonsense that we deal with day in and day out out of the equation, so you can focus on bigger or more important things. Mm. Like death is not a problem anymore. 
So you don't have to focus on that. You can talk about being rich and gay. Like, you know, that's, it's, this is, this is why I always say that, you know, why I always like his work because of this competence porn that he brings it. I'm not saying that Leah Williams doesn't have any, any uh, credit for this, but the thing is like, it brings this, like, you know, now these mutants can talk about these things. They don't have to run. They don't have to be hunted. They can yeah. talk about right. He's their made room other for all things. these other conversations that we've always wanted to see these characters have be had. Exactly. There, there are moments exactly. of triumph and that's, now that there aren't used to be. You know. Right, and yeah. that's one of the reason it's so great to read X Men now. And I am like, you know, it's like <laughs> like I'm doing this while I'm trying to read other X Men <laughs> that we are going to talk about in different places. But this is what this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you know, you kind of brought it up. You you put it so well. Tyler, but, do you I mean, want to close I mean, this out before we move yeah, on to the I mean, next section? Apart, apart from, apart from um, the fanboying of, uh, you know, Speed and, and uh, of Northstar, I also really enjoyed that Prodigy is really embarrassed by Speed. Um, <laughs> you know, like, he's like, it, because, because at this point in time, David and, um, and, 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 uh, and, and Northstar are, are kind of um, a developing a dad and son kind of relationship which we so, very much saw in the last episode yeah north star's partner being like you're such a dad <laughs> i know and so so he's like he's really embarrassed by the guy that he's sleeping with that his dad caught him with and that he's asking all those embarrassing questions and he's trying to he's trying to shut him up kiss him and say go 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 <laughs> i mean i thought that was so funny and Delightful. so you know and so for the lack of better words, so human, you know, it felt real. Well, on the human train, and this one, gosh, we're going to get even deeper into the weeds here because I think Dokken is up next here. We have a really interesting progression for Dokken, one of our few bisexual characters as of a decade ago, who's on this cast. First, in his burgeoning bad romance with Aurora, where he gives us this really interesting dialogue on his pheromone powers. He can smell it, but he can't read minds. He can tempt you, tempt you but he cannot make you be tempted. Um, and he, and when he senses from somebody is, as he puts it, a series of green lights. And I think this is really interesting because it's kind of maybe a little bit of a retcon of Dakin from before, but it really makes a much more fascinating Dakin, and I think a better Dakin to be reading about yeah. than the Dakin that we've ever had before. And I'm saying that as somebody who, like, he's like my problematic fave. But then to take this through the whole issue, you know, he's off and does the field work, gets left for dead, and has a real moment of human fear that he can't heal and he can't die and that nobody's gonna care care enough to do anything about it. Which, are you making me feel something about Dak and Leah Williams? What are you doing? I was reading this issue and I'm like, oh my god, is she making him awesome? Like, what is going on? (laughs) It's great! Somebody, so who, just quick raise of hands, straw poll, who has read like original Dark Avengers era Dak at all? I've read it and I can't remember it, which I think goes a long way. Not not everything. Freya, lead us off here. How did you react to this recasting, recontextualizing of Dokken and his powers and his emotional life. So I would say, though, that that was a little bit of, like, really? Because look at him. 
Because first of all, he said that oh, he cannot yeah. produce anything if there is nothing there. So which means yeah. only super straight men and super lesbian women are not <laughs> affected by him. I'm like, yeah. okay, okay, buddy. Okay, look, look at you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, look at you. Like you, anyone who will be looking there will be automatically something there. And then, then he can manipulate it, and he does manipulate it. So that's why I thought it was like a little bit of a white lie. He's like, mm-hmm. I can only manipulate yeah. what's there. Yeah, looking can... like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the hottest Ooh. man in America. Not, <laughs> not just the face. Not just that, because he's like he's part Canadian and part Japanese. He's part Canadian, um, and you know, part Japanese. So he has like, but the thing is, his body and his the tattoos and everything, and he's like, you know, he's like Wolverine's son, and you know, Wolverine's brother. Like, you know, he has like all these things going for him, and he's always, almost always shirtless. And I'm like, bitch, please. <laughs> you know, so when he was saying his like his all his thing, I'm like, yeah, nah. But so you're not uh, but buying the, it fully. No, I'm not buying it because the thing is the fact that he said I can do it and he does do it. So it's not that he does not use his power. He uses his power all the time. That's how he <laughs> gone through his entire Dark Wolverine run. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. But the one that at the later where he was truly scared of being left alone and then, you know, nobody's caring, it that really shook me. Like that was, I mean, because the thing is that it was actually going by the abuser, like, you know, the, um, the uh, North Star's the, partner. The, 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 I, yeah. for, I forgot his name. Like, um, yeah, Kyle. He was, Kyle. Uh, yeah, he Kyle. was talking about, like, you know, how abusers does it and there was, like, a juxtaposition of what's going on with it, all of that. And then that that really got to me because I was like, oh, yeah. But then he's also turning around and doing something with North Star at the other end of it as well. So I'm like, I'm on to you, sir. I'm <laughs> on to you. Like, well, you know. I- I liked his explanation of his powers because it doesn't change like the, yeah, he can weaponize the pheromones and he is like apparently the hottest man in America. So there's always going to be some, but like the description of him like walking around and knowing when everyone around him is kind of horny and wants to bang, but not knowing much beyond that. It kind of is like, it's like, it sounds like like an empty hedonism, but with no deeper meaning that for him to connect with, which which seems like line up with that character without it being like, with having some more like like emotion and, and pathos to it mm-hmm. beyond just him being like the sexy, cool guy that sleeps around, which was kind of the thing in Dark Wolverine from what I remember. I, I try not to, but um, <laughs> it's, I know, that book's fun. But like, yeah, I, yeah, I just, I was like, oh my God, are they making this character like actually relatively deep for what he is which is like this i feel like we've been kind of talking like it was leading to that you know issue to issue and this is where it it paid off i i thought this worked like gangbusters yeah i mean dubai williams i did but i don't have that much uh of a deep history with Mm. this character i just knew that you know that they um williams need to rehabilitate him rehabilitate him somewhat um and yet not toss out his history entirely and it is a very fine line and um it is very easy to go one way or the other so um i mean i i I thought um from my read here is like you know he he is telling kind he's kind of playing a little bit of um the victim here and, and 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 still telling you know not 
the whole truth. So so that was the part which I thought was was really interesting. And that look on his face when he he was like he's dejected because um you know Aurora <laughs> um didn't believe him. That was yeah. Really, really good, like mm. expressive drawing by Baldion. Um, and you know, I, I just thought that this whole whole this whole thing works for me. The slow flirt between the two of them works for me. Um, you know, I mean, um, the video is going to come out later, but we discussed before, um, you know, in the recording before that um, the 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 concept of love at first sight. This is not love at first sight. This is really just last at first sight and then the flirting Slow. continues and slowly and well who knows where it would get to it's kind uh, of and like... the... no i'm just saying that his power actually works on me as well because i already <laughs> have something so as i'm reading it, it he's always adjusting my my pheromone level for him <laughs> and namor both of them. <laughs> I was reading. I like, see um, definitely some some shared DNA. I mean, not literally. <laughs> I'm just reading it. I'm like, ah, oh, this douchebag has some sadness to him. This is gonna work for me. Like, okay, here we go. <laughs> well, and I am. Um, I'm not going to repeat this all because I think we've heard me say it in the past. But mm -hmm. I feel like we're finally there, and I like want to repeat it all. But look, there's a yeah. lot of different things you can do with a character who is a horrible character in the past. No matter how they were horrible, right? They were just mean. They committed genocide. They committed sexual. Assault. Salt. Like these are characters written generally, generationally by so many different writers. Even Doc and a relatively new character has been through at least three major writers writing him mm -hmm. already. And I think there's a lot of ways you can go. I always think of Hal Jordan because he was like the worst character at DC. Because not because he's a terrible character, but he is boring. But because because of no because of what he did in the 90s uh, in yeah. DC. And it's like, well, if you want to bring this character back, what are you going to do? And an author always has the choice of what are they going to do? Ignore it, retcon it, try to rehabilitate it. Or and I think that this is the path that I just personally appreciate as a reader, just do something better. Like, I don't, I don't actually need any explanation. Just write a better version of that character mm -hmm. and I will just read it and say, great. And I understand that if you're somebody who his past actions and past stories has caused harm to or that you have been triggered by, like, I get that you just might not be able to appreciate him on the page, just like some people might not be able to appreciate Sinister on the page at this point, who's been linked to eugenics and a lot of things, which we could get into more deeply in an actual Sinister episode. But, like, I just think this is what you do. You just take a character and you find a new way in and we either decide afresh to like them or we don't. And I think that right now it's us deciding afresh, at least that we're pretty interested in it, even if he has been a trash bag in the past. But to, to bring this all together is... I'm not a person who usually looks at every face in a comic book issue. Like, I'm very much a reader who then kind of goes back and appreciates the art. And clearly I have a lot to say about art. But Baldion has made it so that I stop and read every single face because I know that he has drawn a facial expression that is going to add what's going to in the word balloon and there are not a lot of artists here today in X-Men or elsewhere who do that there are not enough people that do facial acting on the characters enough that it's going to change my read in the word balloon to look at the character's face and I took I time every issue that I read because I read a lot of issues it took me four times as long to read this comic book as any other comic book this week or in the previous week because I read every word balloon and I read every face. And it's, you have to be real damn subtle to get me to do that. And especially, finally, to end this diatribe, Peter, is taking this to the end of the North Star arc, almost the end in this issue, with Dokken, where he rescues Dokken. And they have a really tender moment together, even mm -hmm. after they've been kind of standoffish for many reasons. 
and I, and the camera gets farther and farther away from them, which is meant to show the amount of space that they're in, the far distance that he has to go. But I found myself getting closer and closer to the page because I wanted yeah. to see what they were doing emotionally, even though it was zooming out. And like, I, by the end, I physically was like, face into the screen to see it. And I just think that's magic. If you can make yeah. me do that unselfconsciously and put my face up against the screen to see your tiny, tiny characters, you, my friend, are a magician. That that page I'm is done. like the, <laughs> that page is the artistic like achievement of the book. That is like, it's pretty incredible by the final panel, just like the pull out of them alone in the quiet. It just, it feels so visceral or it's so impactful. It really is great. Well, and also, I mean, I, even in the crazy fractured page, page where we're getting oh, yeah. that trauma discussion, which we page. can't possibly talk about all of, but oh my gosh, yeah. talk about amazing writing. That it it take first we're closer to the characters in the hall, and he's farther away, and then we get closer on him, and then it's their backs, and like there are some really magnificent um, plotting them through space, blocking of the characters going on here. And if you're not a person who usually thinks about where people are on the panels, go back and look at that page and think about the decisions about where each character gets put in each panel, because yeah. this is not by chance that the panels are being unfurled the way they are. And I also like the fact that Northstar instinctively knows that this is pointless to go hard and threaten yeah. Darken. Mm -hmm. So he, he goes, he used a different approach with him. Um, and as a result, I mean, the relationship is not quite friends, but they are not quite just teammates. It's, mm. it's, it's somewhere in between, which I kind of like there's a, respect a lot. There, I mean, yeah, there's... there's definitely respect there um, from both sides. And we have, I'm really impressed none of us, none of us have mentioned uh, Dawkins' absolutely like wretched uh, frat row clothes uh, in the opening there with the <laughs> backwards baseball hat, where I was like, oh, okay. How much does he suck this issue? But no, it's just like a disguise, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. <laughs> and Aurora like was, oh. no, I'd say Aurora was the furry hair character of the issue because she was like, <laughs> why are you wearing that? Because I was thinking the whole time, like you were talking about like the facial expression of the I was just looking at the frat clothes. I'm like, Harry would wear something like this. Why is oh, Dakin oh, wearing this? Oh, <laughs> the worst burn I've ever taken. I'm going to dress That's up like that Harry's, next issue. Harry's undercover, much like Dakin. Because he's That's in Florida right. and he just has to dress like that. But the thing is that how awesome was the rescue? Like, you know, oh, he was so like good. one person. Like he was, like, this is what I'm talking well, about. Competence porn. Off. It paid off the whole Tommy discussion. Exactly. Says I searched this whole area of the continent. Lee Williams is brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like it just works so well, you know, like it just it, it worked so well because it was like already set up for you and then it paid off. Same issue. Like, you know, whoa. All right. Final whoa. section, folks. Siren, what is she up to? What is she doing? Dawkins following her, trying to report back, but he's calling Polaris, who's Siren hypnotized with her normal powers under the guise of Morgan, who's inhabiting her. We get reminded by the data page that Morgan can only uh, inhabit freshly dead people, which a mutant is real damn handy for at the moment, especially if it's somebody who's pretty high in the resurrection queue. But it doesn't actually tell us what Morgan is doing, which I think is the most interesting thing because we get so involved with her leading Dawkins around until she finally wrecks him out in the tundra. But it <laughs> doesn't actually reveal what Morgan's plot is, except we get to this crazy last, last page hitchhiker, uh, cliffhanger hitchhiker, I don't even know what I'm talking about, cliffhanger, and she's killing the entire team? 
But before we even get there, we have to realize that we have a team full of detectives, and as soon as you get Polaris in a room with enough of them, after they do their go-round of the island, which we could still talk about for 100 hours because Dazzler's in it, but I'm trying to move <laughs> here, is that iBoy and Rachel call Polaris out on it immediately, but it was just long enough to sow the seeds of discord that needed to be sown on the team. Oh my gosh, Tyler, what should we even focus on here? There's so much. Well, I mean... Uh, the fact that iBoy immediately recognized that um, Polaris was lying because of the different things that he could see. Um, his different eye are basically visually telling him that Polaris is lying and not able to, well, not calling her out initially, you know. Um, I, yeah, I almost like he's a... hesitant to, like, maybe she has yeah. a reason to lie. Maybe that yeah. she's the leader. She's the senior Correct. X-Men. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like she, the 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 seniority here works for her with iBoy because mm-hmm. iBoy is like, oh wait, I thought she's lying, and you know she's not hundred percent sure about that. I thought that was interesting. The other thing about Morrigan is that um, I don't think the the new host has to die. Is the old host has to die well, in order way. for her to move on? Yeah. Right. So, but I mean, she gets some. She wouldn't keep killing Siren if there wasn't something in it for her. No, that that's the the problem is this. Siren is the current host. She is trying to move on. But the problem with Siren is that every time she dies, she gets resurrected. So that means that it when she gets resurrected, Morrigan is not permitted to move on. Mm. Because when Siren is brought back via resurrection, Morrigan's in my I imagine Morrigan snaps back to her former host. So so every time she kills Morrigan kills Siren and go on to a new host because Morrigan is trying to move on. They resurrected Siren and she gets pulled back into Siren. Ah, I was not reading it that way, but you're making a very compelling case. I actually read that way too. Okay. Yeah. Harry? I thought... I, I was just going it. with the flow. Okay, so Priya, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, go I ahead, Priya, please. I was alone. <laughs> so Priya, yeah. you got that as well. No, that's what I thought too, but I wasn't sure who Morrigan is. Like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know who that is, so you that's why I was... P.A.D.'s X-Factor. And he, she was there? Yeah. yeah. She does Siren gets, like, taken off the table at yeah. the end. Yeah. It's a lot of issues. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of issues. First of all, it's a lot of issues. And then I remember, okay, things I remember from X Factor, Jamie Madrox, it wasn't a one-time thing. So, (laughs) oh God, like, you know, like it wasn't a one-time thing. You made her pregnant, you sucked her baby into you. So, no. drag on Madrox this issue. It's not a one-time thing. And then I just love the zinger. It's like, this is why I run things now. So, but then, yeah, but the thing is like, it was just, um, but yeah, so I don't, I I actually completely forgot, forgotten that. But I did also, when I read the data page, that's what I kind of took that, She's trying to find something. But what I didn't understand, I'm like, okay, then why don't you just find something in between? They're finding the body. Like, you know, there is some time between the resurrection. So why can't she just run away during that time? Because, like, is the soul ever released? Like, now we're getting into metaphysical stuff, right? Like, if she's... I don't know. No, I think it's it's the problem is that when they get resurrected, when Siren get resurrected, 
right? She gets pulled back from from her, so it prevents her from moving on. Is my read of it. Um, I mean, the other read of it is that when they resurrect Siren, they are not actually resurrecting Siren; they're resurrecting Morrigan. So again, she gets pulled back into that old body that she, that Morrigan does not want to be in. I mean, it is not science. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, we are dealing with fantasy here, so right. I mean, the rules <laughs> can be made up anywhere. Mm. I mean, my yeah. question with the interrogation in, interrogation thing is that why is Banshee living in a cave? <laughs> <laughs> he likes caves. He's a cave he guy. Loves, I don't know. He just loves caves. He's just waiting then, to get voted and... onto the X Men so somebody cares and he gets he gets upgraded. This that, is what happens when your character that's not in a title right now. If I was and living then, in paradise and I was offered to live in a cave, I would try it. I'm not saying it'd be forever, but I'd give it a go. But maybe he's cool. just trying to say trying to get votes by saying that I'm one of yous. I live in a cave, unlike those quiet council people. But oh, uh, I just love love the idea. It's like, oh, she kept on dying she died a lot recently and he's like what <laughs> like, you know, that's that my was, thing yeah i i also didn't understand why they went to havoc what's their connection because oh, why x they factor. went x-factor huh x-factor yeah they're all x-factor people it's all x-factor people that might have been the best joke in the issue where he's just like, uh, you know, you can call You're me like Alex. My friends call me Fred. Mr. Summer. You know, so no, yeah. my, my brother is Mr. Summer. Because, <laughs> you can uh, call me Alex. Wait, just his face. Like, please, I love every appearance by Havoc. It's like, yeah. please love me. Don't make, don't <laughs> yeah. make me go back on another like mission with Hollywood. Himbo, himbo he's like the uh, saddest puppy. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so he is X-Factor 2? Yeah. He, was, so he, he and Polaris joined X-Factor towards the end of um pad second run no i know i know i know that yeah. but the thing is like but he's not in x-factor now so no why... no, no no yeah but so they're why... interrogating a lot of like former x-factory people yeah. uh, i think is the... that's... yeah because because i the thing is so i have a little bit of a hard time uh focusing on all the ladies face in this uh like his like david Baldwin's art is really good but without the hair color i can't so i am like wait polaris is they're not looking for polaris they're looking for why did they go to alex like you know because i'm like if they're looking for lorna they should go to alex but yeah what, that's fair what, i mean that's you know, totally in a book with lorna to have alex as the punchline right <laughs> oh, that's, okay. that's why i i was very confused by that but mm -hmm. especially because dawkins said in the inset panel there what the hell lorna and then they're questioning Havoc. It, even in my read, I was kind of like... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, are they talking? So that's when I actually thought that I... Because Iboy was there. Because he knows that he's like he's lying. So I thought that mm -hmm. they went to talk to him about Lorna. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, I, that's I what that I thought. the first time around. Okay, You're not alone. got it. You know. Okay, yeah. all right. Because all right, I was like, yeah. Final page cliffhanger. Super jarring, as we pointed yeah. out earlier. All of a sudden, there's a there's a murder spree in the boneyard, and potentially prodigy, or is it? I think it's prodigy. Yeah. I boy and Dokken are the only three left alive as they're being like, hunted down. It's like Do a these, ritual sacrifice. Like if we're in a slasher movie, <laughs> yeah. uh, is any of these the final girl? Like are any are any of the three of them gonna make it out alive here? I boy, well, I boy's the final girl for sure. I boy's the final girl. Tyler, <laughs> yes, who's the final well, girl of the three? <laughs> well, obviously it's Dokken. <laughs> Freya? He's the archetype of I mean yeah. the hero well, here. Prodigy is black, so he's not surviving. Uh, but so it's going <laughs> it's going to be Dakin. But the thing is, like those two it's Aurora and North Star in that circle, right? 
who yeah. are mm-hmm. dead and in the middle of this of like Morgan symbol on yeah. the carpet. Right. Like, what like is some, she up yeah. to? Some mid no, uh, so are, shit. So are they with is flower it crowns? Aurora, yeah. So yeah. is it Aurora and North Star? Is my question. I think so. Yes. I think so. Yeah, it's because to but be them. then the question is, how was North Star caught? Because he could run that fast. Yeah. It is so kind of be- fun. Yeah. Because yeah. if you think about it, all the things we have seen about North Star, so it kind of sets up that, whoa, like I was more scared by that, that she, like North Star could be defeated by this at the end of it. And I am so looking forward to next. Yeah, I can't wait. So look, here's, I, I can't decide. I think there are three very cleverly picked final girls, right? Which we're saying final girl because it's a horror thing. It's a trope. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, Dokken, does he redeem himself by saving them all? Iboy, does he go from being useless to useful because something about his powers <laughs> makes him uh, immune? Or Prodigy, because Prodigy has got something about death that he is not telling us right now. Mm-hmm. And, it, or is something going to be revealed to him about death that he does not fully understand? Like maybe he's only got half a soul because the rest of him is still walking around alive somewhere, per Tyler's yeah. point earlier. So I think no matter who it is, we stand to learn something really interesting. And I have to say, we have to stop talking about X Factor now. Unless no, anybody... I have one more thing no. to add. No. One really important anybody thing. has one final receipt that they would like yeah. to show the team and the crowd and the viewers. Tyler well, I mean, and there's, there's one thing which I really want to talk about and that is Polaris outing Rachel. Um, because in general, I don't like when characters are being outed by someone else. But Jean. in this case, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in this case, I think Polaris was um, trying to, I mean, because she was hypnotized to really just shift attention away. That's why she's like, oh, yeah, bet you say that to all the girls. And, <laughs> and I, I was like, okay, you just it's really just touch and go. You can completely miss it. But, well, yeah, basically. And the Polaris smirk is... on Rachel's face. Again, reading all the faces. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, Freya. but with that hairstyle, we know. We know where Rachel is. Anybody um, can wear any but... kind of hair. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. You know, I I'm all I'm all about being proud and everything. But you know, so that's why I'm saying I'm like, girl, go for it. So I was actually surprised that you say that this is an outing because I thought that she, we already know. Like you know, I already Same I hash. thought you know it's yeah. So I thought yeah, I thought I thought that she is already out. So this was something. But the but the whole like snap is like whatever it is, get out of it, get get it out of her. Whoa. Yeah. I was I was hot and bothered by that. It was so competent. Oh, and also it, it gave but, Rachel like a nice moment of competence too. I think yeah. something that's been fun about Rachel is a lot of times people write her as like, oh, I can't quite do it, or like, oh, the hound is taking over, and they write her from the perspective of the way she's going to fail. But Leah Williams has almost wrote it as like she's so far- powerful that she doesn't even bother sometimes, and then like North Star or Polaris is like Rachel, take care of it, and Rachel's like, oh, right, sure, and it's just such a fun different way to write mm-hmm. effectively the same thing about the same character but we talk a lot about in the show that it's always more interesting to set up the constraint for the character beforehand than have the the development be oh i'm constrained and this is yet another great example of this where like once she was reminded that she should take care of it she handled it in a second and that was much more funny and satisfying than her being like oh i can't figure it out i can't break the hypnotist (laughs) yeah Yeah. Well, and also how Ayala, Howard, and Williams are cross-referencing each other. You know, the same way you know, like um, like Dugan and Percy were doing that in their titles. Like these 
few titles were like all cross-referencing events because Rachel did not appear um, a lot in this issue because she was inescalable. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Vida Ella and Leah Williams seem to have a pact where they're starting starting to make more and more references to Age of X-Men, which is another yeah. interesting thing that's happening in these tells right now, but we just don't have the time. <laughs> so before we sign off from this discussion totally there was a lot of x-men in other marvel comics this week and i'm just going to quickly run down what happened where without spoiling it totally so you know if you're interested there's a lot of phoenix nonsense going in in avengers right now i cannot <laughs> say that i endorse it but if you live for phoenix nonsense it is in avengers Meanwhile, there's a King in Black Valkyries series that has reached its second issue right here. I don't think it's a, it's a mystery to anybody that Danny Moonstar was a former Valkyrie and she's used and used incredibly well in to minor uh, effect here in this issue, but she's clearly going to be part of this cast. So if you love Danny Moonstar, you might want to be buying King Black Valkyries. You could just pick up the second issue. You don't need the first one. Danny enters the scene here. Also in Shang-Chi, uh, which was a one-shot this week, Legend of Shang-Chi, we got lately Deathstrike, who at this point, I am convinced really ought to be just a Shang-Chi villain because she worked so well here compared to how she works in X-Men titles. And then finally, in Runaways, we have Molly, who last issue logged on the, the Track My Mutant app from Krakoa to be like, pick me up, send a gate to my location, and some <laughs> mutants pay her a visit. So there's a lot of X-Men stuff, plus the implication of the X-Men that are in New York getting tied up in King Black, which is Storm, Cyclops, and Wolverine. So X-Men's breaking out. It feels like we've passed the point where there's an embargo on touching these characters and mm -hmm. they're allowed to kind of mingle as characters and concepts in the rest of the it's universe. It's the rain of acts. Yeah, it's the rain of <laughs> baby. They're everywhere. Love it. <laughs> rain on us. So next week, we are going to be heading for a lot of issues. So y'all get ready because it's another, according to the schedule, it's another Excalibur issue, even though we just had one last week. It's sword number three, so you know Harry is hyped down there. It's X-Force number 17, which, you know, good things could happen. I mm. believe it's another issue of Wolverine Black and White, which, of course, we will do our speed round and reaction blood. to each story. And blood. And blood. Can't forget the blood. blood. What would it be without blood? It would just be black and white. Uh, I mean, the, the, the pages could just be blank if there was no blood. And I'm then also, on this one. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> And then, although it will not be part of our X-Men uh, program, we did get to talking about some Eternals last time around, so remains to be seen. TBD from the team, if we're going to talk about Eternals number two or not. Not an X-Book, just a thing that we are interested in. Any final thoughts this week before we turn off the recording? More X-Factor! Every week! <laughs> I think um, they've started to announce these 12-issue uh, deluxe hardcovers for the X-Men books, and like I, I am going to buy the X-Factor one if they make it. That is the one I want on my shelf. It's pretty incredible. It's the one that he wants. Tyler, any parter, parting thoughts from you? Um, well, the next... I mean, is... Oh, yeah, there's one thing. Well, a really small thing. Spit it, it out, was more like it's more like it's more like a wordplay of zooming in X Factor. I thought that was really funny. I mean, it, it was just touch and go. It's like um, it's like why is why why is North Star not zooming here? You know, and we are in the world of like zoom. Here we all are in the zoom <laughs> yeah. <world> right now. <laughs> so that was just a small wordplay. I thought that was funny. I mean, I think the thing I'll leave everybody with, and I said this on Twitter already this week, is I like liking comics. Like, I think I can come off as a curmudgeon sometimes because I just have a high <laughs> standard. But Marvel slayed it this week. There was, like, a bad issue from Marvel in the whole thing. It's the most I've liked any week of Marvel. And I read every book from Marvel every week since May 30th, 2018. And I am just 
high on life. Like I'm just totally exuberant. I can't be stopped. I just want to read good comics. And like, this is what I'm signed up for weeks like this one. So I hope you all had as much fun as I did this week, not just on the Xbox, but throughout, you really could, you couldn't go wrong if you picked up a Marvel comic other than Avengers this week. Uh, and I hope that we get another good week next week. So until then, thank you so much for sticking with us for a very lengthy, very enthusiastic This Week in X discussion because Freya, why do we get together and do this every week? Because X-Men is better when it's read together. That is right. So from all of us, Faria, <laughs> Harry, and Tyler, and myself here in New Zealand, to all of you, thank you so much for being part of that Better Together, and we hope that you are well. Bye. Bye. Bye.